Yeah, we love Ted Lasso. And this is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Uh, I am Coach Castleton. With me are Coach Bishop. What's good? And, of course, our boss, Emily Chambers. Scones do, in fact, suck all of the saliva out of your mouth. You know, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk <laughs> about that. factual. That is mm-hmm. a bit of an affront, but <laughs> I loved it. Okay, today we are jumping into Ted Lasso Episode 5, Tan Lines, written by Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent. How about that? He sure does. Plays the <laughs> ever-living hell out of that part. Um, <laughs> Agreed. And um, it's directed by Elliot Haggerty. And, well, I'm going to say this before we start. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself... You know, we've seen, I mean, I, I'm averaging about four to six times I've seen each episode now. How about you, Coach? I'm right in that vicinity, probably more like the f- like five to eight. But yeah, I've, I've, I've watched them a few times. And, and what about you, Boss? I've watched all of them at least four times. There are specific scenes in certain episodes that I'll just play in a loop in the background because it comforts and or crushes me. Mm. So I just want to put a marker on the fact that, you know, we were boss and I were kind of honest about how like four or five times and coach, you just wanted to beat us by saying like eight times. That's <laughs> that's like insanity. Eight times is like <laughs> I, the truth is when I got when I and I thank you, Coach Castleton, for making this a part of my life. I really mean that part. <laughs> I, I really do. Um, but that first weekend, you you contacted me on a Friday. You said, you've got to watch this thing. You've got to watch this thing. Over that weekend, I was it was we were two episode four, and I watched each episode three times that weekend. So I, I kind of got a running start on my number there. But that's 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 how much this uh, this show grabbed grabbed your boy Coach Bishop right out of the <laughs> gate. I love that. God, I love. I knew it. I knew it. You know, we should just talk about how right I am all the time. I don't know if we have time for that on this podcast. <laughs> Probably not. No, we Probably can we not. take. No, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, okay, so we're going to jump in. episode Season one, episode five, Tan Lines. We open with Dusty Spring, Springfield's Wishing and Hoping. And Higgins is being dropped off at work. And we get right off the bat a nice, I love a good spark to a show. Ted just whacks his head. It's great physical comedy, great head gag. Um, and then we we are up in in um in Rebecca's office. Wait, wait, I gotta call something out before we yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, one, one, one of the kids says, "Is he dead?" And I just, <laughs> my God, Chef's kiss! Like, are you kidding me? That was just such a funny, just little, just little something extra behind that head gag. I just thought it was hilarious. That you know, that was written by a parent. I don't know who wrote. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do know. Uh, it was written by Brett Goldstein. I don't know if he's got kids, but. <laughs> not only to say is he dead, but there was a thing where the mom tells the kids, oh, thank your father. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, thank you, dad. And one kid goes, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, there's That's always me. one little bastard in every family. <laughs> I just absolutely love it so much. I'm like, I want to party with that kid. Um, <laughs> so we're in, the, we're in the office. Ted's sharing with Rebecca. Coach, you want to talk a little bit about the sharing? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting, well, Rebecca's relationship to it, but the the storytelling, this is an instance where we're seeing Ted telling his story because he needs to talk. And he almost always tells his story to the person he's talking to because it's what they need to hear, is that they need something and he's trying to give it to them in part in the form of this story, right? But this, like he, this is him actually like needing to get it out. Even when he says, oh, it feels good to laugh. That's what you say with your wife when your wife isn't the person who doesn't want to be around you, right? So I just thought it was, um, <laughs> I, I, I thought, I thought it was a really good, twist on what he generally does and it really brought us to where he was which is like a hundred percent trying to figure out what's going on with this family yeah i think that that's a really great point i think one of the other things um i have had people where i've sort of had to adjust my communication style to match theirs i think that there are some people where they want you to sit back and let them talk whatever they need to talk out And I am much more Ted that if I think you need to say something, I will tell you something that I think is similar to what you want to talk about in order to draw that story out of you. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me about your rough day at work, I might also tell you about my rough day at work so that we could bond over that. And I think Ted is so good at that. Mm -hmm. So that's weirdly Machiavellian there, boss. I'm glad, (laughs) glad I, now I know how you've wrung all my secrets out of me with your, with your sob stories over the years. Now, listen, is I really appreciate that, that that peek peek behind the curtain there, Oz. Is it Machiavellian or is it community building? And the answer is Machiavellian because I'm a bad person, but it could be community (laughs) building. But if I were, yeah, if I were Barack Obama, then- if I were an entirely different person, then maybe it would be me being nice. Yeah. This this whole piece reminds me of what I was taught about the difference between marketing manipulation, which is that how you feel after you spend your money. So I guess <laughs> that's uh, that's where we are with Bone. She's she's going to crush you with those secrets, coach. Yeah, eventually. Not surprising. Yeah. Not, not, surprising. not yet. So um, we're talking Ted and, sh- and and that was a great point, by the way, Coach. Had a boy. Thanks, Mike. Um, okay, so um, I love that because it actually didn't dawn on me till you just said it. Um, I thought about it a little bit later, but it didn't. You're right. This is like this is the first time where he's it's kind of being human and and taking off whatever version of his mask there is. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about masks a lot, so I'm just putting a pin in that. And uh, you know, we have the couples therapy line. I didn't like the other couple. I thought that was funny. Um, and we learn about the the sort of procedure of the code word Oklahoma. What what was that, uh, boss? That was something that their couples therapist, without the other couple, I'm assuming, uh, told <laughs> them that they should do that if they're discussing something and one of them says Oklahoma, they have to give quote the God's honest truth, which I thought was so it's such an interesting way of putting that because there are ways where you can be honest with your partner, where you aren't being honest in the way that you need to be. And that Mm. if you are being honest in a way that is intended to protect their feelings instead of with the intention of communicating something, it's not going to be effective in the way you need it to be. So sometimes you have to tell your partner that their breath stinks or whatever, and that's going to hurt their feelings, but that's what they need to know. And I think that Oklahoma was such a great way of cutting through all of that. But what what is that code word? So this is interesting. What is a code word? A code word, it, in my opinion, is a it is a signal to your partner, mm-hmm. and that signal says, "Don't react to this. Just hear it." 
And we we do a thing. <laughs> this is such a stupid. I don't know how the name got there for my family. But we do a thing where we have four kids. Um, oldest is 16, youngest is six, uh, boy, girl, boy, girl. And we will sit like on a weekend morning when everybody is wound up from the week and we'll do a thing called the, uh, it's, this is what the, it's like a Seinfeld derivative, but we call it the errances of the grievances. It's not just airing of the grievances. <laughs> it's, I don't know how, I think my little girl added errances. She just got it wrong and we kept it. So the errances of the grievances. And what we do is we sit there and it's a protected space mm. And everybody, if you have a problem with anybody, parents, sibling, doesn't matter. You can say the problem and mm. nobody reacts to it. They just listen. There's no reaction whatsoever. There's no discussion. There's mm. no, well, I didn't do that. Like, no, but your shoes were there. There's just none of that. None of that. You just get to say, here's what's bugging me. Um, kind of felt like you were a little dismissive to me or, you know, didn't like that you touched my stuff without asking or, and we just listen. And so when we're talking about Oklahoma, we talk about safe words. It's usually like a sexual thing. If we say, right, I'm trying to think of like yeah. when you talk about just a word, like calling out a word, it's usually like, oh, a safe word to let mm. you know if you've gone too far in bed or something. <laughs> but but with the code word, I was like, oh, this is really refreshing because this is a signal to say, please listen to me. Hear what I'm saying and and take it for what it's worth because I'm I'm telling you the truth. It's like a preparatory thing. You're going to hear the truth, the unvarnished truth. And it's so funny in this civilization, in this culture, how difficult that is and how rare it is and that it necessitates a word between loved ones or between people who are the, theoretically the closest people in the world to each other that you have to call that out. But that's – unfortunately, that's where we are. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting way of putting it that it's – an indication to the person you're talking to that you need them to hear something and not react to it. It's in a way a, a method of enforcing being egoless where you're doing the practice, even if you can't do the actual thing where you don't want to react. You're at least going to perform being egoless, even if you really want to say something in response to it. Just listening now, part of what I think is interesting too, though, is. <clears throat> To develop the language is to create, in part, a community, right? So the very the, just having something called errances of the grievances, right? Like nobody outside your family and now our audience, because I love it, um, <laughs> is, know what the hell any of you are talking about, right? But it has a meaning to you, and so that in itself, just having that is a, a is a bond builder. Um, and we see it even as in this exchange, right? Like that quickly. Now they've got a piece of language and, and, and communication that's different than it was before the conversation started. Um, so I, I like that, that it, it, yeah, it, 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 it calls out the safe space, but it also in some ways defines it. If I gave you a hundred dollars to bet before, before we had watched this show and I said, you get to, you get to put your money on. A Kansas-based football coach yeah. or a British wealthy British socialite who's going to have the better knowledge of musicals, right? <laughs> right, right. You're going, you're, you're going, you're going Brit every time. I think, and I thought it was so funny that Ted <laughs> shut her down about um, shall about we dance? Her, yeah, shall we dance? Oh, that's the king and I. Um, I saw that. <laughs> I saw Yule Brenner on stage. Do the oh, really? Anybody, oh, wow. anybody ever see the original Yule Brenner version? 
pretty amazing. Um, I, yeah, coach, you saw it? No, I was gonna say as a kid, I believe I saw like a filming of it. I, that's a, that's my recollection of it. But I've been making that up. My mother loved The King and I. That was one of her favorite musicals. Actually, I grew up. My mom loved musicals, so I know more about musicals than you'd guess. Looking at me, so that's just one more thing I find humorous about this uh, the entire show. But um, yeah, The King and I, I believe there's a film ver- filmed version that uh, we checked out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's Yul Brenner was in the film version too. Yep. Yeah, so we saw the same dude. I just saw him, I think, you know, a hundred feet. Away. Nice. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. I was just a little, little tight, but it was nice. Um, so, uh, Ted, re- when they're, when they're talking about this, Rebecca is resistant to this because she's, it's not her, her jam to get up close and personal. Ted, Ted mentions that his wife, he's having some marital problems and his wife, sort of gave him the impression that his constant optimism is too much. Did you, did you hear that line boss? Oh, I definitely did. I think it's, you know, one of the things that people say about relationships are that the things that you find so endearing in the beginning are the things that are going to make you crazy a few years in. And I could totally see that happening with Michelle and Ted. Like, Yes, you would be drawn to how optimistic he is and how enthusiastic and ready to get everything. But then some days you're going to go home from work and just want to bitch about traffic. And instead of bitching with you, he's going to put a positive spin and it's going to make you a little nuts. Like, I understand why that would be so crushing to him and why it it doesn't seem quite fair to his personality. But I also understand where she would be coming from that sometimes he could maybe be a little too much. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And we're going to touch on that. I like how you said that. And we're going to touch on that later in the, in the show. So, um, he says to Rebecca, I, I bet deep down you kind of dig we're getting so close. And it's just great directing, great acting. <laughs> <laughs> she says, what? What does she say to that boss? Oh, she says, I do. And then he says, Oklahoma. <laughs> I do not. Now, uh, now he, so good. Now, now I may get corrected on this one, or certainly fought, get some fight back on it. But I thought another level, and again, you know, we're now in like the seventh viewing of this particular episode, I think, or something like that. But at any rate, I thought part of what was brilliant about it is actually Oklahoma. She does. She's eating the biscuit. She's having biscuits. She's doing biscuits mm-hmm. with the boss. the The truth beyond that truth is actually she is even on levels she doesn't even understand yet never mind us right like we're getting like she is in the conversation and she did share with him at the gala she did do that now she's viewing this as the price she pays for that which is funny but i think there's something there i think the joke flips on itself if you if you at if you look at the characters what's actually happening yeah actually you know i'd agree with that i think um I have friends that I have joked around with throughout the years. I've had uh, especially combative friends where we pretend that we hate each other and we don't. And the reason that I know that they don't actually dislike me and that I don't actually dislike them is because I know people they do dislike and they would never say to them. You don't tell somebody who you actually hate, oh man, I hate you so much. That's not the way that that sort of, ongoing relationship yeah. would work spot on i can't imagine no one that there's anyone out there that would dislike you boss <laughs> <laughs> my, yep that's the, the right response um, oh 
Okay, and we're, we're good. Today, Wrap it up, man. folks. <laughs> But we're we're not we're not coming back. <laughs> so from we that. we have now made it to the title sequence. Everyone there we for go. Nicely episode done. five, hour two. Well, Here we go. That's it. Everything changes from Chelsea Blue to Manu Red, and we are with Ted Lasso. Um, actually, we're with Keely. We open on Keely. God, I love her so much. Jesus, Juno Temple, knock it off. I mean, Hannah Waddingham. I mean, oh God, we could just gush forever. Anyway. All right, Keely opens up uh, the show. She goes to Jamie's house, and there is a young lady, young woman there who is rifling through the um, through the the, <laughs> the fridge for a little snicky snack in the morning. And Keely is lovely to her. I I mean the the sort of cheap, always used network TV version is that Keely's got a. You know, which is like always written by rooms of male writers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what I mean? Yep. It's like that whole thing. Like they can't fathom that the woman could be just lovely and and above it all and and not hold another woman accountable or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just like uh, I have a friend working on. Well, I shouldn't even say that. I can't talk about that. <laughs> I have yeah. a friend working. On, I have a friend working on a show who's telling me stuff that's happening on the show and. And it's basically like the showrunners can't imagine, or the network specifically can't imagine that, you know, like a woman would do this. Like in 2020, you just go like, oh my God, you know, just mm-hmm. like, this is so obvious, but it's so lovely. It's a wonderful thing about the show. And it's a wonderful thing about Keely. She's really nice to the, to the woman there that's in, that has clearly just spent the night with Jamie. Um, Jamie walks out in, in his fantastic uh, undergarments. <laughs> Uh, and he's like I, I, I would like to hear Bone chime in on the undergarment situation. I was I'm, I'm actually quite curious. What was what was your reaction as he came uh, strutting in? The undergarments the undergarments were fine. He definitely has the physique Got to it. pull it off. Um I myself am a bigger fan of the boxer briefs, but I think briefs get like a bad rap that they don't always deserve. There have been a few instances in history I felt very good about them. Got it. Love it. I have a whole theory on the boxer brief, and it's like one of the great advancements uh, that we've witnessed in our lifetimes. But there's not time for that now. But let's just mark that, flag it, boxer briefs up there with the light bulb and sliced bread. Moving on. Got it. Perfect. So um, I will say on the uh, spinoff podcast, uh, Bone Chambers rates different men's legs. We will talk a great deal about boxer briefs because I'll have a lot to say about that. Stay tuned. I can't wait. Okay, good. So <laughs> Jamie says to her, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't get mad at me. Uh, you can't get mad at me for this. You broke up with me. And Keely's like, yeah, like 24 hours ago. And Coach, do you remember what <laughs> do you remember what Jamie says to her? How long's a man meant to be alone? What am I supposed to do? Shower by myself? Oh, my God. <laughs> What am I supposed to do? Like, like the most, like it's the craziest thing. He's a shower bomb myself. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Keely's like, thanks, Jamie. You know, you've made this very clear. And he's so like empty and vacuous. She's like, yeah, you're welcome. Well, you just thanked me. Did you mean it? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, you're welcome. I like making people feel good or whatever. Like, oh my god. But I, I love having the woman in in the space with them. 
because I've read her face to be a realization that she's not that she's slept with a man who's an absolute nightmare of a human being. I feel like you watch her realize it as she realizes that he doesn't get what's just been said to him. Um, and I, to me, it just underscores the whole, you know, Jamie is trash. Let's get the hell out of here uh, vibe of the whole scene. But she the woman gets it. She, she'd rather be leaving with Keely, frankly. Yes, I think that that's a great point. And I want to sort of pin that for right now, because I want to uh, follow up on that in one of the scenes a little bit later in the show. But I think you're absolutely right about that read of Jamie now that he's sort of in a position where he's not with Keely. I think that's dead on. I did not notice it. So thanks for putting that on my radar. I wasn't looking at the at the the uh, the woman that was there. I was just really focused on Keely's facial expressions and her trying to save a little face. And the weird dynamic with having a, you know, interloper in the middle of that sort of relationship dynamic. And yeah, it was, it was interesting, but, um, I just, yeah. You know, the only thing I'll say about Keely's face is that I do think that there was a, a, a moment right after Jamie said, well, if I did help you, then you're welcome. Like I like making people feel good where Keely sort of understood that. This wasn't him being egoless the way that Ted is. This is him being so simple as to not understand what's happening and realizing that she doesn't need to be mad at him about any of those things because he's too Mm -hmm. simple to even try to be hurting her. Like, I think in a weird way, his total cluelessness in the face of her feelings and her insult at him means that they can now move past the breakup and maybe have a relationship still. Like, in a weird way, it worked. He he does want her to feel better. (laughs) It's great. I love that he's so. It's almost like pitiful. Like it's like, wow, you are so sad. We can be friends. We can be friends. You couldn't have been what I needed you to be if you tried. You are such a you know. It's like getting mad at a puppy. Like he didn't mean to be on the rug. He's just little. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Don't don't teach trigonometry to a sheep. (laughs) Um, So so then then he's like, you still going to be around for the promo shoot later? And it's like, just, uh, she's just like a gog. She's like, oh, you mean the promo shoot I've spent weeks setting up for you? Yes. She points at him. Yes. Um, and then she's like, it was nice to meet you, which I'm like, oh, God, she's just a doll. She's, she's so great. Love Keely. So nice. I just like nice people, kind mm-hmm. people. And um, we get that great insert of her just, bam, dropping the keys on the table, like a, just a period on the, on the interaction. Um, and we jump to training. Now, the, the theme of training is Jamie uh, goes in, shoots, shoots the ball, and Ted comes out of, out of frame and catches it. He's like, oh, I was going to go in. We'll never know. And he's like, Jamie, how many times do I have to tell you to make the extra pass? And do you guys get the sense at this moment that we're talking about more than the extra pass here or more than soccer? Or football? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think back to that idea of how you do anything is how you do everything. I mean, yeah, he doesn't he 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 doesn't get it. Um and and he's not and he's be, he's becoming the 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 odd person out. Like we started with Ted fish out of water whole deal and slowly folks are moving this way and we'll see more around this as we go. But Jamie's the one who's specifically not getting it. Um and you, and you, and you're seeing the impact it's having on the actual team. So yeah. There's a there's there's a lot more than that one pass that he didn't send. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, there's a lot more than that one pass. And there's also, in a weird way, the other players on the team only had something to gain by Ted coming in because their team wasn't doing very well and they were facing relegation. And most of them weren't. I mean, I should say that none of the other players were the superstar on the team because that was Jamie. So Jamie is sort of facing a situation where he's going from being the only good player on an average team to having to share the spotlight with a bunch of getting better players in order to make the team better. So in a weird way, he is giving up something in order to get the team that Ted wants. And that does put him in a, a rough position. This isn't me being overly sympathetic to him. It's just he has to sacrifice a little bit more in order to make Ted's vision come to life. I love that you frame that that way. I think it's 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 incredibly important. It's something that I think is at the core of teams. And it's this you 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 gain an understanding of yourself, but you also have to sacrifice a piece of yourself to the team. And um, sometimes that has a tangible look to it. You know, I've talked about the captain class before. Sometimes it's somebody giving up their body. I mean, there's nothing in sports that I've heard people talk about more reverence than like so-and-so gave up their body for blank or blank. And um, Mm -hmm. that idea. So what Jamie isn't seeing and and we, we know Ted sees with the clearest of eyes is that if you can actually give up yourself to this team and be a part of this greater piece, you actually end up being more, more realized version of yourself coming out of the other side. I, I know that saying, uh, coach, but I know it as sacrifice the body. Have you heard that version of it? Yeah. I mean, I've heard it said different. Yeah. I've heard different words. Like, I've there, never heard yeah. g- give up your body. I've never heard that, that term, that terminology, like, give oh, up really? your body. but, but my whole life is like, I've heard sacrifice the body, like, sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's, okay. Yeah. But same yes, general same, thing. Yes, same, same concept. Yep. Now, um, Sam was clearly open. Um, Coach brings this up, and Jamie says, even when Sam is open, Sam is still shit. Mm. Uh, Sam runs up, I heard my name. What did he say? And Coach <laughs> Beard's like, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Sam is just wonderful. I will plug the – I'd like to plug a couple sports here. The, the sports with social control in them, where – it doesn't matter who says that. Um, if you play hockey, ice hockey, mm-hmm. uh, I just can't speak to field hockey because I never played it. But I know in ice hockey and in rugby, if you say someone's shit overtly like that, you're going to get punched. So mm-hmm. so I just put a little plug for social control in sports, but not saying that violence is the answer, but uh, man, I really hate players like that man they're the worst and <laughs> and there are sports that help you course correct uh, but just to jump in there uh right after uh beard says it, sam says i heard my name what did he say about it beard says don't worry about it and sam immediately says oh okay because he's fully embraced being a goldfish all right he's gonna oh forget God. about what he gives like a thumbs up it. he's totally happy and you're right he's already a goldfish yep god that's a great ready point. to go damn it Boss wins again. Yeah. Game. That stupid <laughs> boss game. <laughs> All right. So as Ted is talking about this, his family shows up and he runs. He freaks out. Can't, practice is canceled and runs. Um, <laughs> and there's this great moment where he's just jetting across the field. And and Coach, do you remember what Nate says? 
he says that's a lot longer <laughs> run than he thinks, which I just had a good chuckle about and and beard, you know, metaphor. Just fan, just fantastic exchange, and so much in line with the show. Also puts Nate in with them, right? Like now, when we hear that before, when we stepped out onto the field when we first got there, and here we are back on the field using it as a metaphor. But now it's Nate and Beard having that, like almost like otherworldly yeah. connection in their communication. Yeah, great point, great point. And and it's and we're not done there because when Ted arrives. Uh, boss, you remember what he says to, we, we meet, uh, Michelle Lasso played by Andrea Anders, who is, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, this actor, but she's, she's been around for a while mm -hmm. and what she does is she's just always good. Like wherever she shows up, she's always good. She's one of those people that if you're making a show, you, you just go, Oh God, I, I want to work with her at some point. And I'm glad mm -hmm. they did. Cause she's, she's always just solid as a rock. Yeah. She was in the other quintessential Ted show, better off Ted. She's phenomenal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's always good. She's always good. She's just a pro. And uh, we get Henry played by Gus Turner. But, um, boss, what did Ted say when he showed up at his <laughs> wife and child? This is the, the second part of the metaphor. He said, I thought you'd all meet me halfway, but that's all right. <laughs> I was like, that is so <laughs> telling. That is so good. It's there's I mean, like even Beard saying metaphor means that there's a lot to unpack. And I'm sure that we will. I would like to back up one quick second, though, and say that episode five is one where I started watch in the rewatches is one of the first ones where I started watching the reactions of people in the background. And one of my favorite scenes in this episode is when Michelle and Henry show up, Beard and Ted both look across the field at them. And then Beard immediately looks at Ted and starts smiling. Hmm. And Ted then takes off across the field. But Beard and Ted are so close that Beard knew, oh, this is going to make him so much happier than he has been. It was I, like, great. it was the smallest thing, but it's every scene that they do that where it's about their friendship. It's great. I love it. I like that you're fangirling on Brendan Hunt in every episode now. Oh, my God. Every episode. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. Get worse He's so good. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I missed you so much, he says to Michelle. He he looks at her, he says, I missed you so much. And, sh and she says, I missed you so much too. Oh my God, you're the light of my life. Right. Exactly. Go ahead, coach. Well, I, it's actually, the it ties in the, to, to where I started to go. Sorry to step on that, but I it she doesn't say anything. And it's, it's, it's not a long pause. I remembered it being much longer than it actually was. Actually, when I rewatched the episode, I thought, oh, like I took a lot in in that moment. But that's because if you've been away from someone you love and you, you don't even get to finish that sentence before the person saying it back, really. And so any pause, as, as it would be for Ted, is an eternity. And it wasn't long. And then the kid jumps in there and group, you know, it, it, but it's an eternity because it's clear she's she didn't say it and she wasn't going to say it. And that's because she didn't feel it. And in terms of the metaphor of running across the field, it really just made me think of how relationships really work. And if you're the person who will run across all the way across the field, that's great. And there may be moments in any relationship where we're called on to do that. But I think part of being in a relationship is being in a relationship with somebody who actually would run across the field toward you. Now, maybe you're faster than them, so you cover more ground. That's different. 
But for them to just stand there and wait for you to run all the way across the field, sooner or later, that relationship is going to fail. So I just thought it, it like worked. And then it worked on top of that, as we saw that, like, really, like you didn't miss him at all. Like, he seems like a pretty decent dude. I mean, somebody's got to eat all that peanut butter or something. <laughs> I mean, like, damn, like nothing. Like, it just made me go like, yeah, well, whew, y'all got problems. Y'all got real, real, real problems right now. We we, we yeah. foolishly glossed over the the open uh, metaphor, which I'm glad you brought us back to, which Ted said Sam was as open as the jar of my peanut butter on my counter. And he goes, oh, you don't know that I leave this open. And um, Ted says, uh, it's a fucking good idea, to be fair. Roy, <laughs> yeah, Roy I mean, says Roy, it. I mean, Roy I'm sorry, Roy says it. Yeah, Roy says it. Hey, um, don't don't go putting the F word in Ted's mouth. No, I God, no. Perish the thought. Um, no, no, Roy says that. Fucking good idea, to be fair. He just killed – he's got these great throwaway lines that are fantastic. I thought you'd meet me halfway, but that's all right. And and um, I think you're right. 100% right, Coach. It is uh, when you love somebody, when you're great – it doesn't matter if your friendship doesn't matter if your uh, your coworkers whatever you you are rooting for someone in a way that you genuinely want to meet them because you don't want them to have to run too far if if both parties are willing to run the whole way and and you're willing to take that burden off of the other party um, then it's just pure joy when you meet halfway because you're both pulling in the same direction it's just great um, although you're running in opposite directions so. That's one. That's one to grow on. Got a shooting star. Yeah. Talk about unpacking that, something that. I I think that was a little puzzle mystery you just threw. Me <laughs> so right. Um, you're, you're a smart cookie. What, what I will say though, <laughs> yes, like Michelle and Henry should have run. It's a bad sign for the relationship that Michelle was not encouraging Henry to run. It, like, there's a lot there that does not bode well for the lasso marriage. I will say that there's something to be said of the fact that she is in London right now. Yeah. And that when he gives Henry a helicopter, he says to her, a helicopter, she says much a slower helicopter yeah, for me and is true. willing to embrace him. Like this is not the same as Rebecca and Rupert's divorce, Great their point. relationship, marriage. Like even though there are issues here, they care about each other and they want to be kind to each other, even if they can't run across the field to each other. I love that you brought that up. There'll be plenty more space for, for discussing it to be sure, but I love that you brought that up. And again, this show being grounded in a, in a certain reality, um, this is an adult marriage facing an adult moment that requires all kinds of it requires all sorts of maturity from the characters. I think it demanded a certain maturity from the creators and the writer. And I think it like it, it and it almost demands it of the audience. Like, get it. Like relationships, messy, gray, not simple, mm-hmm. you know, uh, into what is it? Into pitch. It, there's no uh, into touch. Into, into touch. That's into right. Touch. Into touch. Right. There's no there's nothing that's into touch. It's all, you know. It's all in there. So anyway, I, I I I love that about this and their relationship. It does have the it does it is written incredibly subtly by by Brett Goldstein and acted uh, equally well. And um, it could have been a disaster if it felt if it felt um, dishonest, um, but it didn't. And we're going to get into that quite a bit more. So she rubs his arm when he greet when he says I miss you so much. She rubs his arm, which is like. What like a teacher will do to a student who just got a boo-boo or like mm-hmm. uh, someone who you haven't seen in a long time, but you don't know them that well. And they, they give you like a 
a greeting on the street. Like it's not like lovers embracing. So um, I love the beat where where Ted is so happy to see his boy Henry, um, played by Gus Turner. Did I mention? And um, he says. You got teeth now, and you can talk. Like I just loved that whole that whole interaction. To underscore boss's point, by the way, there's a a giggle from Michelle there right at the end that I thought, oh wow, like she. So she's enjoying that piece. So I thought that was cool. She she doesn't. There's, there's no hatred here. There's right, no like right. yeah 100%. yeah. She's trying. She's trying to find. She's trying to find the thread. Um. But anyway, um. We get a little tiny little interstitial sort of scene where Higgins and Rebecca are walking. She Higgins relays that the match won't be sold out. And um, now we cut to uh, Jamie being the new brand ambassador of Dosh Steiner, the favorite beer <laughs> of Jamie Tapp. Um, and he is, oh boy. Oh man. man. So. Rebecca walks in and boss, you remember what she says to, to Keely up when they're up on the, the top of the stand there watching the absolute shit show unfold with Jamie Tart. Well, she says to Keely, no judgment, but are you back with that twat? And Keely says, no, that she's just working on this. And just, but I love that you were concerned about me. I'd kiss you on the mouth if I could reach those lips, which every time. <laughs> They're together. I love them a little bit more together. Oh, God. It's so good. <laughs> well, I love that Rebecca smiles there. Yes. Right? She could have, I could play that totally character, get it, and she's aghast or she's put off or it's, you know, oh, my God, everybody's telling me too much. She smiles there. She gets it. She gets the joke, which is also part of being part of a, a friendship, right? They get each other's humor there. Yep. Absolutely. Coach always regrets that he wasn't in the making of this show. I <laughs> I always regret when I when I see things that are fun to write and I wasn't in the room, the mm-hmm. writer's room. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been fun to pitch out the lamest shit that Jamie is gonna say in this like when he says <laughs> he says bon appetit before he takes a drink. What an absolute knob. <laughs> like yes. bon appetit is such a stupid thing to say. Before you drink anything, first right, of all, right. Second, unless you're unless it's like a meal replacement, then I guess somehow nah, maybe no, because then you're still e- eating a meal replacement, right? So yeah. I, you know, I would say no offense, but no, I'm I'm intentionally trying to offend those. <laughs> it's horrifying. They also pitched brunicorn and beer bee, like a brunicorn and beer, and and I, Phil, I mean Phil Dunster, like good on you because. Dear God, dear God, he killed it in that scene. How just absolutely lame and obnoxious uh, he was in that scene. It was beautiful. I sort of can't believe that uh, you seem to have stepped over my absolute favorite line, which is where he starts to pull up his uh, shirt sleeve. Yes. He says, wait, you got to make sure to get the tattoos. It's Chinese for Ong. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so amazing. And I don't know, um, earlier when we were talking about Jamie in the kitchen with his most recent conquest and with Keely, and talking about how both Keely and the girl from the night before can see him a little more clearly now, I don't know if the direction was to make him seem like even more of a joke than he was beforehand, but Mm. now it's so readily apparent. Like, you could see that Keely can think, like, what the hell was I doing for however long I was with him? Like, I... Years ago, there was 
uh, a, a White Sox player who I will not name because it's only going to be mean things that I say about him. <laughs> but my older sister and I were talking about if he's actually as bad as he seems to be playing, why did they call him off? What's he doing there? Blah, blah, blah. And a friend of ours walked into the room. And so we said to him, like, hey, what do you think about this guy? And he said, ah, you look him in the face, you could tell he's a stroke. And I was like, yes, that is it exactly. <laughs> if you go to the trouble of looking at his face, you could tell he's not very good. And that's how I feel about Jamie now. Like, if you look him in the face, you could tell he's a stroke. <laughs> I love it. That's hysterical. <laughs> God, what, so what a horrible weird. thing for someone to say about I think I mean no, no it's 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 fan. Can you imagine if someone said that to you? Oh God. I mean, I yeah, in boss. Your face. God, if she look at yeah, you know. Yeah. If you go to all the trouble of looking at him, <laughs> tell everything about him that you've ever wanted to know. Yeah. So so now we're in the in the um Rebecca ushers Keely out of the room to save her from just a just further embarrassment. And um and she offers her a job. And Keely says, I don't want you to offer me a job just because I was nice to you in the loo the other night. And boss, do you remember what um <laughs> what Rebecca says to her? Mm-hmm. She's uh, why not? Money gave each other jobs and toilets all the time. At which point, <laughs> Keely starts giggling. And Rebecca, again, not even aggravated with it. She's like, come on. Like, right. you know, I meant a real job. And then... God, Keely has a great almost throwaway line. God bless you, Roy, for writing this. But she said, oh, come on. So not like a hand or a blow or a foot job. And Rebecca, at this point, a little bit appalled, says foot job. She goes, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Probably would be feet (laughs) in just the perfect way. She does her hands like the feet. I mean, oh, my God. So good. And they're show that is by and large pretty PG. That is so unnervingly graphic that I had to laugh because I would have turned it off otherwise. I mean, I think it's just perfect and hysterical. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, it just makes me happy that we're in a world where like the, the Keely type of person can just push the limit for their friend. You know, there's always like in, in, I, I don't know how often are you in a relationship where you're both on the same, you know, rating level I think like with most of my friendships, one of us is 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 speaking in R-rated movies or NC-17, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, and then mm-hmm. you, you kind of bump the other one to let it know. I, there's a friend um, that Coach knows of mine. Um, we met. We were both we were both um, uh, parents at a, at my at our son's school, and I, we were just had a polite friendship kind of you know friendship talking. And I didn't really like him until. We were just casually, politely in the conver- in the parking lot talking about, oh, you know, what do you think of this school administrator? And he said to me, what do I think of her? Um, I think she's an apparatchnik. A- apparatchik. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And he's like, yeah, and her boss, that guy's a douchebag. And I was stunned. Like my jo- because at this like school, people just kind of didn't talk like that. He's an, she's an apparatchik. And her boss is a douchebag. And like right away, I was like, oh, we are, we're friends. Like, holy shit. You know what I mean? We're not just like, hey, wave in the parking lot. Like, we, he has opened up, he has shown me whatever. And I was like, oh, good. So anyway, I just think it's like really nice um, how they talk, Keely and, and Rebecca. So um, with regard to the job, Rebecca says, you know, if you want, or you can continue doing what you do. What is it you do again? And coach, do you remember what what Keely says? Like what her job is? She goes, "I'm sort of famous for being 
almost famous. Like you watch her during the sentence realize like she just described nothingness. <laughs> She's like, what? Like, wow, when I say it out loud. So I just thought that was a, a, a cool moment for her to sort of um, and because you can you're watching her grow up. Like, think about what she was wearing when we first met her coming into the locker room. And now she's got on this suit, you know, not the greatest suit I've ever seen, but she's sort of like trying it out. It's almost, you know, like our moment with with Nate and the the, the his suit. Right. And um, we're just sort of yep. seeing her like trying on this new version of herself. Um so, yeah. So anyway, that suit and that way of being did not match with that job description is how I experienced that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I do not want to say that Ted Lasso is the reason that Keely is deciding to that she wants more out of her life. But I will say it's very telling that what he said about her was a young woman whose relationship does not define her. Absolutely. And. And now she's stepped away from her relationship and also from the fame that sort of brought her being a footballer's girlfriend and moving into having her own career. I love that. We're going to, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about all these themes about change, about reinventing yourself, uh, about having the courage to do that and, and the, the mindset to do it. But um, Co- yeah, it is, go ahead, coach. Coach. And I'm taking us, I'm taking us way back. We can loop right back, but I did notice this. And I think because of what you just said around change and, and life changes that this is important. When we, we come out of the open, um, he's hit his head. And when we, when we re-engage, the camera actually comes up from behind Ted and he's holding his head. Like he, his past is catching up with him. His story is catching up with him. He's going to do, and, and he's going to bump his head pretty doggone good um as this unfolds. So I just I that was a little piece of a little little piece of uh brilliance <laughs> I wanted to throw in there um that 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 takes us through this whole episode, I think, just visually. Yeah. So we are now with Ted, Michelle, and Henry as they enter the pub. He's talking about chips and crisps and things like that, bangers. And right away he walks in and what does Baz say to him, coach? When are you gonna win a game, you fucking wanker? (laughs) (laughs) Just that's his greeting. That's his pub greeting. Good to see you too. Good to see you too. That's right. And boss, what is um what does Baz say as soon as uh Ted uh, says, Here's my wife? Absolute pleasure to meet you, Mrs. Lasso. And she says, Nice recovery. Yeah, so good. So yeah, he's it's it's giving them a little depth. It's great. Uh, coach's wife, she's heard it all. Uh, May comes right up and gives Henry some some darts, uh, trying not to hit any of the regulars. Uh, which obviously, as soon mm-hmm. as you say that, you know some regulars are going to get hit. And um, they sit down. They order sufficient chips, two pints. And you know, May says, "I like your style." And Ted has this moment. Now, this is. It's it's rare. It, there is okay. You sit down to write a scene like this as a writer. You have what six lines tops. You have thirty seconds to explain an entire lifetime, an entire relationship, a history, a a level of closeness or or distance between two people. So we're going to talk. We've talked. I mean, we're, this is on our we're on our fifth episode of Ted Lasso. We have gushed about Brett Goldstein and his version of Roy Kent. This is spectacular writing. This, this is jaw-droppingly good acting and directing. And I, 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 
you just you feel it in your bones, man, when you watch this scene. Ted sits down. He is so giddy to have them there. And he does that thing where he's like, hey, look at this. Whatever that thing is, right? He is so happy. And it is clear right from the get-go that, you know, Michelle is polite and and sweet and, and lovely, but she's not with him. The hardest part about the scene for me was that, yes, there was some obvious discomfort. I think that you could be a couple who's been together for so many years that you sit down to eat together and one of you is checking your phone because you know that there's going to be an email or a text or something coming through. There can be silence or lack of conversation with two people who are deeply in love and it's totally fine. And this was not that situation. And Michelle could feel that. And even though she could feel that, and even though she might be the main cause of that, because Ted is so excited to have them there, what she does is immediately reach for something that she knows that he likes and asks if they still wrap the fish and chips in newspaper. Because there's nothing more that he would love than having food teach him something. Like, she's trying so hard to make this connection, and it isn't working. Yeah, it is. And I thought that the there was an ache there that I that I loved. And part of it was in the way she expressed it, right? Because she said, um, yeah, that's your dream scenario, right? A donut that knows about Rosa Parks or something. Like two things happen in that very simple line. First of all, she doesn't say that would be a dream or that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Or whatever, right? She doesn't join him in his excitement about it. She's like, yeah, that's just the kind of thing you would like. Which written into that is, I don't really like shit like that. And then yeah. and then the other piece of it is a donut that knows about Rosa Parks or something, you know? Um, it just doesn't... Again, it's not that I actually appreciate it. Um, it's sort of like the way my, my wife might send me like a random article about some guys that play fantasy football and be like... this. This is like your this is like your fake football thing. <laughs> like you know oh, what I mean? Like it's it's she she's like You know that dumb yeah. thing you do? Yeah, then here, there's something about that. Um she's not at all joining him. And it's not intentional. I think you're right. Like it was an honest attempt. She obviously read up on being there, but yeah, she's not joining him. Think about think about it relationships and and when you're done, when you're mentally checked out, when you know mentally it's over. Mm-hmm. And then think about being as good of a person as as Michelle clearly is and being partnered with a good of a person as someone who Ted is and that battle inside of yourself to try to negotiate like what you really clearly feel is is something has ended. It has changed. And yet you feel compelled to try or whatever. This conversation felt like the perfect representation of that for me. She's 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 probably sitting down nervous to have this alone time with him. You know, she's probably been thinking about it for weeks. She's probably thinking about it on the plane. The last time they probably had this alone time was when they, you know, had in therapy when they decided on space, you know, like mm-hmm. this is they're coming to a moment and she is lovely and trying to uh sort of, you know, talk about things that he likes. And it's interesting like the choice of Rosa Parks, I really loved. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 did, I loved it because it wasn't, oh, a donut that, that knows about the SEC mm-hmm. or 
a donut that knows about like the top 10 drivers in NASCAR or a donut that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't this trite thing. It was like truly an iconic figure that, um, I mean, I don't know if you would, you know, theoretically connect that to like a division two white Kansas based football coach. And I, and I like (laughs) that insight into the person that Ted aspires to be and what he finds important. Yeah, absolutely. So brutal scene. Um, it listen, guys, this like, think about what we got again. I, I know I'm gushing about, about, about Brett Goldstein and I know I'm gushing about the writing and the, and the directing and the acting. It was, it was a line about paper wrapping in paper. It was him saying, no, they don't do that. It was her saying, you'd really love that. And it's him saying, yeah, you know, you can fit a lot in that little hole. And it was her with an awkward look. So it was technically four lines. <laughs> I mean, that is staggering. That is staggering. You think about how many, I mean, I, whatever. We can go, I could go on forever. I'm just like, that is wildly impressive. So um, we we now have, uh, of course, it's um, uh, Henry uh, throws the dart, hits Paul on the arm. Coach, you want to talk about any insight into the uh, the one black guy in the pub getting the um, friendly fire? Yeah, it's like a horror movie, but different. Uh, but yeah, I thought <laughs> I thought that was hilarious when you pointed it out. And I just love about that character there in the bar that he he is just not what you expect the black guy in that situation to be. He's not the mean mugging one. He's not none of that. He's, he even uses like that high pitched thing he does with his voice. Um, even now, as we see him with the, with the dart in his arm, and uh, you know, ow, it hurts, right? Like he's not the tough guy who's like pull it out. Like he's like, ah, don't touch it. Um, so I just think, yeah, like, like no stone unturned. We get we get some great humor out of that. Yeah, and some real and some like yeah, some honest depictions of humans that don't rely on stereotypical horse shit. Ain't no thing, little man. Exactly. You know, like it's exactly. not that. You know what I mean? You're exactly. like, I love Paul. I love I loved him when he when he wheeze laughed at the at the tie line in the pilot <laughs> and then as this season goes on I just like him more and more well he's got a great line coming up in 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 this episode later um so anyway that's a nice little little oh one little note since we're talking about that scene i just want to say thank you for not making henry like oh the genius little kid that's the plot robot that tells you everything that's going on you know like right. like a kid that's ridiculously badly written so that you know, he the design of the child is that he's way beyond his years. And he's like, you know, hey, are you and mom going to like get mm-hmm. back together? There's mm-hmm. none of that. Mm-hmm. It was just charming and well done. And again, honest and 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 feels feels right. Um, so, OK, so uh, now we're with Keely and Jamie coming out of the the nightmare brunicorn session. Um, it's Chinese for arm. so good he's a bright bulb that jamie tout um so um keely's like just okay checklist we'll go through there'll be pictures of shit you know shitty pictures i'll take those out he's like yeah love like like right why don't you come over and just uh you know they're not gonna be shitty pictures because uh, you know points to his face he's a beautiful man wait the last time but this last time through i noticed that keely makes a sound when he does that, that's like, yeah, right. But instead of it being big and huge, like it's totally dismissive. And I loved it. So I just had to call that out because Keely's brilliant. It's true. She's so good. My God. 
Um, he says, come over. Well, you know, you don't have to email him. Why don't you want to come over and maybe we're naked. So he's like, let's just, let's do this thing again. And she's like, hard pass, which is great. And then, um, you know, boss, I'm, I was just going to say, then we see boss's favorite character, but I'm like, man, in the, in the love triangle between you, Roy Kent and coach beard, oof, man, that's a tough I mean- one, huh? I don't know why we need to consider it a triangle. Like, <laughs> there's, more, there's it's no, more of a sandwich. Yeah. Why? Why would we possibly need to choose? I, I could have men ruining my credit from every angle. No problem. I love it. I can make that work. It's what I'm good at. Um, okay, so we see Roy and Roy yells, "Smart move!" And you want to pick it up from there, boss? Yeah, absolutely. Because it, well, one of the things I was going to say, I love that uh, Brett Goldstein is the one that wrote this episode because Roy is almost not in it at all. He's got like one or two scenes, but other than that, mm-hmm. Brett was like, "No, we don't need to include my character. Let's just move all of the other pieces around." Interesting. But having said that, yeah, but um, they're, they're key scenes. I'll say that they, you know, they are key, they're really they important little entrances, scenes. and they're and they're. You know, it's just really well done. I mean, he did give himself the um, that's a great fucking idea line. So it, maybe he's being selfish. I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to be generous with him. Uh, but what he says is that that's a smart move. Uh, basically, to Keeley, I have to hang out with that prick. But the fact that you would choose to hang out with him is frankly mind blowing. And she explains, actually, we've broken up and we're working together. And also, most importantly, who asked you, Roy? Because you don't get to have a say in who Keeley hangs out with. Isn't, isn't that great? Yes. I mean, isn't that great? I'm like, yes, there is a there is a thing where I am as guilty as the next idiot uh, about, you know, the fish doesn't know the water it's swimming in. And, and yep. uh, I mean, as a as a white male in in America in 2020, I mean, I have it hard. Let's let's face it. It's a, <laughs> whew, man, you know, I don't know why I'm hearing about everybody having it harder than me. But uh, no, I mean, uh-huh. we just don't uh-huh. even know. Like. I, I, like so many men of my profile are are not even tangentially aware of the privilege they have, and that they feel licensed to com- comment unsolicited on uh, a young woman's dating life. I mean, what in the fuck? So it was wonderful that they called that out. So this is not about uh, a dating life, but earlier this week, I actually had a friend who was out of town come into Chicago. We went out to dinner. And as we were walking towards uh, the L tracks, which near my place are ground level, they uh, the barriers start coming down, the bells start ringing, the whistles and the lights and everything else. And there's a guy walking past us who says, watch out, ladies, there's a train coming. And we're like, oh, you, f- you think? I don't know how we possibly could have figured that out. Thanks, jackass. If it weren't for literally the wooden barriers and bright red lights telling us that there was a train coming. So this, unfortunately. Lordy me, is that what all them lights are for? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Thank you so much for pointing that out. I would have just walked directly into the train. Thank you, sir. Uh, well, so, he was, yeah. you know, chivalrous and and maybe you should have given him your your number, you know, because he. Probably. Clearly, you know, looking out for you. Yeah, he was only watching out for my, uh, my, my. Best intentions. Milady. God. Ugh, gross. I also <laughs> love that she gets it. She literally gets in his face about it. Like, she doesn't just, like, kind of yes. theoretically say what she has to say. She physically moves toward him. Like, she is letting him know, like, you crossed the line, buddy. 
and I just love the yeah, energy. Yeah, but, pl- but it's playful though. It's not threatening, is oh, it? Yeah. I mean, like, oh, no, no, no. I think it's yeah. like it's like perfect balance. Of, they they have something, so they have something. And the last interaction we see before this, if you guys remember, was him saying, "Hey, I didn't really like that you used me as a pawn," and she says, "I'm sorry. I shouldn't have yeah. done that." And he's like, "Thanks." And then Jamie's like, "Get out of here! No one's bidding on you anyway, mate. Like, fuck off." <laughs> Which yeah. is like. That's the last interaction they've had before this moment. And so they have something. And I like that she, yeah, you're right, coach. I like that she just is like takes the initiative and is like, you know, it's playful, but it's also, you know, putting up a, it's just putting up a red flag, not a red flag, putting up a flag to say, hey, here's a, here's a boundary. Yeah. And it's important. They're equals. And we don't see that yep. in many relationships, period. Never mind within the context of a show, but these two, are engaging or figuring out how to engage each other as equals. You don't you don't comment from down a hall about who I should or shouldn't be dating. Like that's when that's not what we're gonna do. If you try yeah. to think of the characters we've seen in movies in our lifetime, where the entrance or like sort of the beauty shot where we introduce the character is sort of I don't know why this is jumping to mind, but in in like uh, Revenge of the Nerds, there's the character of Ogre. And you meet him by him just growling, you know, and that's <laughs> that's basically how we introduced mm-hmm, Roy Kent mm-hmm. was shut up. Or I'm going to start punching dicks right away. He walks by Ted Lasso and he is filled with disgust for this stupid. How do y'all? <laughs> how do y'all cowboys? <laughs> um, he is so disgusted by Ted Lasso and and and. As a visual image, when we look at the, the how they like the Brett Goldstein sort of look of Roy Kent in this in the show, you know it's pretty striking. It's it's like it's real dark features, mm-hmm. um, you know, beard like sharp cut to his bangs, like he's just like this real rigid mm-hmm. sort of striking striking looking guy, and he is fucking pardon my French adorable in this episode like <laughs> he says right in this thing he goes right I didn't know that so apologies like when she says we're actually we're working together I'm not with, I'm not with him we broke up we're working together actually and who asked you any he goes right I, I didn't know that so apologies and then she's like no it's fine you should definitely weigh in on my life um I'll make sure that I text you anytime I have to make a decision yeah and then she's walking away and he's like, ah, like such an idiot. You know, he's like, God, I'm so stupid. He he shouts after her. Like, you know, it's do you remember coach when he shouts after her when she's walking away down the aisle? It's that in trading, Sam was wide open and Jamie wouldn't pass to him. <laughs> and then like to like like she doesn't get it. Like the problem now is not is her comprehension. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't but, get but it. Sam, yeah. But Sam was wide open. And this is the line that laid me out. Now that's what I'm dealing with. I just thought that. Oh my like, god! I've got like what you've got to understand is sure I did something wrong, but it's because of the immense pressure I'm under because Jamie didn't pass to Sam in practice today. Like I just like it's so ridiculous, and I just I laughed my head off. That was definitely the first time I watched. I had to pause uh, <laughs> there. I I I want to say this because. Um, we're looking at Keely at the very first day of having to reinvent herself, watching her ex-boyfriend be a horse's ass, trying to sort of find her new way in the world. She's got Roy mansplaining to her out of the blue, unsolicited, and she's got to sort of juggle all of these dynamics. And meanwhile, Roy um, 
is is so locked up in his own stuff that like having to deal with he's a man paid to play a game he's mad all the time and he has to navigate the fact that one player on the team didn't um didn't pass to another player and that's somehow equivocal to you know that that's that's equal to whatever she's probably dealing with and Mm -hmm. i will say listen i don't want to come off as a man hater because i just love men love them love women love everybody i don't think it has to be mutually exclusive but they are there are some i mean men are men are a blast um but sometimes man we can be lost in our own whatever whatever we're doing and not be able to see you know past our own nose with regard to something i mean he's a man who plays a game but did you not hear that Sam was wide open? Well, then that's a good point, right? That's, that does that does equal uh, a woman's. I mean, as open as the peanut butter jar. Yeah, wide open. And that's um, I stand corrected. You're right. That is yeah, no, that's I the same so. as women's suffrage in general. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I will say that line killed me. Uh, the next line, it, well, not even line, but. He gets a text from Keely and she says, yes. my bladder's full. Is it okay if I go pee? Which, like, hysterical for Keely. Thank you for doing that. Uh, it wasn't on the first watch that I caught it, but I was wondering later on rewatching, why does she have his phone number? Because I don't think that so far she's done that much with branding with the team. There isn't much of a reason why she and Roy should be texting each other, hmm. but she has his phone number and they are texting. That is a good question. Yeah, but they're in the same social circle and like he knows her enough. Like when he goes out, when he goes to howdy, y'all, she pulls in, right? And he's like, hi, Keely. He's not like, oh, I don't know this. They're not strangers. They probably travel in the same social circles. They probably. Uh, Oh, I'm going to I'm going to push back on that, that they travel in the same social circles because he was I mean, she was at the bar with Isaac and Colin and uh, Jamie and he specifically said, if you're going to be there, then fuck no. Like, there's absolutely no way that they're going to the same clubs and hanging out with this. the same people. But but they, did they when he was they, they used 23? To, they used to. Right. That's my... I'm wondering. Because okay. I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm with you, boss. Just to put... I am, I am going, oh, that is interesting. Or, like, we just decided that is the way it works best. But... I can't believe I have to like mansplain this to you right now. Oh my god! <laughs> well, actually, god. Yes. yeah. Well, I mean, excuse okay, me. Listen. Point of order, I, boss. If that even is your name, it's definitely not. And I would like to point out to you that I spent like two months ago, eight plus hours or so, researching in order to prove that my name is Earl actually takes place in Camden County, Missouri. So listen, if you want to get into this, we can get into this. But Roy has apparently been playing for at least a decade in the Premier League. Given our target... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Keeley is uh, coming up on 30. If he has been at the same club for the entire time, he probably wouldn't have been winning. He's been traded. I think either they have a very long history, which would be the reason that they have each other's phone numbers... Or they are more attracted to each other right now than they're letting on, and that's why they're texting each other. But one way or another, if they're already at texting level, there's some stuff happening. I politely disagree, but we, I think Ugh. that I think that. Well, no, I think I. Well, I agree. I think with option A, I don't know. 
I think you have two options right there, right? You had either they've known each other for a long time or there's something going on. I think there's been something going on uh, since the moment that he that she apologized and he accepted it. And maybe maybe at the table when they both, you know, I'm going to I'm going to harp on several themes throughout the show, innocence and experience. When they were picking on Jamie saying if if she pays more than six grand, you have to sleep with her. And they were laughing together. They they've known each other. In my opinion, this is not their first interaction. And and I think in a later episode, I'll, I'll give some more you know, evidence to, to the, um, to support the, the plaintiff in this one, but, but we can, we can, you know, see how it, how it plays out. Um, in, in general, I just thought it was sort of charming that she says she'll text him anytime she needs to make a decision. And right away, she's like, you know, is it cool if I go pee? She texts him to, to go pee. <laughs> and then he, and then he's like, yes, like to himself, like he uh, authorizes it. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, we even by ourselves, white men can't uh, give up the mantle of authority. I just love it so much. I got to point out, though, I think it's going to be really important to the future of our podcast that there's a very good chance that Boss just did to a significant portion of our audience what Beard did to her with chess. Because anyone who would devote that kind of time to the to the history and context of my name is Earl. I mean, I'm just <laughs> I. I don't, I feel like maybe we should hire security for, like, this is not, this is going to, this is going to take a left. Like somebody just decided they're going to spend the rest of their life with boss. Like that just Seriously. happened. That just totally just happened. Listen, there's not a lot to do in quarantine. You make, you make things happen where you can make them happen. I get it. I get it. Now we're with Ted in the apartment with his family. Um, they're making a double-decker bus model, and there's this great line there about the building of the bus itself. Michelle says, don't you want to just ride it? And Coach, do you remember what um, what uh, Ted says? Um, we, we doesn't, well, isn't it their son who answers? For, because first he says, no, we want to finish this, and he's, first we can build it, then we can ride it. Kind of a field of dreams paradigm. So what I did love about that, comparing it to the donut, is that the kid, he and the kid are totally on the same wavelength. He didn't have to explain to his dad why they needed to finish building that double-decker bus, and they they are there. So she's entering this space, but they are aligned, and then, you know, we can talk about how the, the scene unfolds from there. Um, I thought it was just another beautiful moment, but I I love that it's that field of dreams paradigm it's the same reason he walks into a locker room and the smell is potential like that's what he experiences so life is field of dreams for ted everything this relationship their kid the double decker bus what richmond can be uh who nate's gonna end up being in life like the world is a field of dreams paradigm for ted you uh you feel the dreams guy there coach Oh, if by Field of Dreams guy, you mean cries every time like a child, then yes, I am very much. Let me tell you something. When he and his dad have that catch, I mean, it doesn't matter. I can brace myself. I can decide it's enough. Not this time. Puddle. A puddle. Yeah, no, no. I'm heaving. I'm heaving. Is this a a guy thing, uh, boss? 
I think it might be more of a guy thing. I'm not saying that it isn't a touching movie or I don't understand it. Um, I haven't seen it in a few years. So I do know uh, a friend's dad is a notorious crier um, to the point that one time while watching TV with his youngest son, he starts crying again. And his son said, really, dad, what is it this time? And he said, this dick butt kiss commercial, nobody hits like that guy does anymore. <laughs> yes, I love that friend. That's me. That's me. Like, and 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 I, listen, I think it's a consensus if you asked uh, Coach Bishop and all the rest of our friends, the consensus would be, oh, yeah, Coach Castleton is the toughest one of all of us. But, oh, I, okay. you know, okay. just in general, I think, Coach, you don't have to say anything, Coach. I just hear your uh, affirmative answer there. Um, but I, I saw like a baby. Like I saw this Verizon commercial where they put these – there was two Samoan twin brothers who were pulled apart at birth and they were reunited. I'm guessing this is fictitious. I mean I don't know. It's a Verizon commercial. And I was like wiping, <laughs> using my forearm to wipe, just ugly crying. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I cry at everything. But the Field of Dreams, there's a couple. You start out with the opening monologue of A River Runs Through It and mm. I, I, I literally – I'm haunted by waters, and I am I am I am within seconds away from death just because of the heaving I'm doing. But Field of Dreams is is right up there. Uh, Dad, you want to have a catch? Oh, oh my God. sure, yeah. Are you one of those? Um, as as this gentleman's wife said, "Oh God, you should see him watching, see him listening to the soundtrack for Braveheart," because that's another one apparently uh, that got him a lot. Oh, is that but, right? The sound. Oh, just wait. The soundtrack for Braveheart. The soundtrack to Braveheart destroys him just full-on wrecks him just have him watch some of the battle scenes over again and braveheart has a unique quality which is that when you when you're looking at william wallace you're like wow that's amazing and then you if you if you avert your eyes at all and look at any of the extras fighting it's the worst shit you've ever seen it's like (laughs) it is it is three three hundred cold dirty people mailing it in yeah i mean oh my god it is so – it is like LARPing minus, yeah. like JV LARPing in the background. That's funny. Like rubber swords. It's pretty rough. But the reason that I um, brought this guy up, lovely man. like him very much. But he uh, said for years that he would never watch Field of Dreams because he was sure it would kill him. He's like, I just – I can't. I, I've, I've heard enough. I'm sure it's a wonderful film. I would never recover. Yeah, no. He, yeah, he's not, not wrong. It, he's not wrong. No, no. He's a wise yeah. man. Just, yeah. For me, it's Cats in the Cradle, Harry Chapin, that's it. Um, okay, so um, six hands are better than four. Michelle jumps in. Um, we get the montage of family bliss. She's like throwing things at him. She's playful. You know, it's not, there's nothing, there's nothing here that isn't, isn't lovely. There was some, um, and we have, we have the shot at, go ahead, coach. Go sorry, ahead. I'm, and I'll take us where I'm pretty sure you are about to go, but I did want to jump in and say, the kid really, Henry really serves as a buffer. Yep. It's pretty clear to me in their relationship, which I'm guessing is a is a dynamic that develops in many families. Um, but they can get along with Henry there because then it really can be about the bus. And there's really no Oklahoma when he's in the room. And so I thought that yeah. was an interesting, like, yeah, this part they can do. And this part can be fun. It's the other part, uh, so I thought that was yeah. very much worth it. I don't. I don't know if you guys. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um, when I saw them all three in the bed and Ted is smiling, mm-hmm. my, this is just me. I, mm-hmm. I have to own this. Mm-hmm. But I was like, 
Oh, so no sex tonight. <laughs> no, no, that's what I and that's what I was saying. And I, I think again, he was he's like a buffer, like the marriage part of the marriage. No, they're a family in a bed. That, yeah, and that's a different dynamic. I, off of that, though, I would say I had a real experience of this. I, my, I've got fifteen-year-old twins now. I mean, you know, everybody sleeps in their own bed, and there was a part of me that felt very. It wasn't even nostalgic. Wasn't even right, but like. um just this side of it or just looking at that scene and going like, oh, wow, like I'll never that particular brand of peace. I know it. I remember it. I've felt it. They climb over me. I'm complaining. But at the end of the day, like it was an amazing time in life. And I just like it hit me watching that. I was like, I'm never going to experience that again. Not like that. Not like that. So it was. um Yeah, that's a that's a that was a powerful image i would think in general but certainly for anybody who's been in the ted role of that moment um it's a it's 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 pretty amazing i still have a six-year-old so i'm I'm still getting a little bit of that but i know i'm gonna miss it and um not the you know it's a beautiful image um not the least of which is the absolute 100 percent guaranteed knee in the balls yes yeah that happens yeah. there's yeah. no way no matter which ch- no there's no way to avoid it they always go right over your midsection and they always make sure to drop the hammer on the way to the middle of the bed um just good it's just good form I think. if you're on your stomach they'll flip you over to do it like just let us be clear <laughs> it's not an accident i don't know who teaches it to them but no way they could mistakenly do it every single time so ted is smiling though in the bed he is smiling he is content on yeah. some level, you know, again, I think about the sex element and I think about Michelle just dying inside, anticipating this moment. Oh my God, where am I going to sleep? She gets there and, you know, there's one, one bed. Like it's just like, I, I just, my heart bleeds for her and what she's has to go through. And she's probably very relieved when it's the three of them in there and mm-hmm. it's just a non, non factor. So. Uh, but the next morning, Ted is super chipper. He's, hey, how are you? How, you know, going through through town. Sorry, I'm going to jump in and back up just one Oh, do it, second. do it, do it. Because the thing I needed to mention is that the musical cues on this are so great. Mm. And when uh, Michelle comes in and sits down and says, six hands are better than four, it's uh, Bring It On Home To Me by Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. Specifically at the line where he says, I know you laughed. I know I laughed when you laughed, but I now I know I only hurt myself. Mm. Oof. Which I don't think is representative of how Ted and Michelle's Ted leaving would have been for them at all. I think it was so ironic that they picked that, that it would be about a guy hiding his feelings in order to save his ego, pretending that he doesn't care that his woman is leaving him when that's absolutely not how Ted would have done that situation at all. Well, I can appreciate that it wasn't right on the nose. Sometimes like the worst thing you can do is put a put a lyric, you know, it's like seriously, you go through we've we've done this in in post on different different films and things I've worked on where you just put the worst possible song in and then cackle with the editor. But it's like, you know, you put, you put in like you, you know, you're putting a song about how it's raining and you're seeing it's raining and you're just like, Oh God, this is so bad that it's good. You know? But yeah, I didn't get the sense of that at all. That was, that was a really nice, um, that was, it was a really nice moment and really good, good song choice for that, for that montage. So you're telling me that when movies say, well, sometimes girls just need to have fun and then they play girls just want to have fun. 
Is that that's not on purpose or it is? <laughs> it's, a, it's a choice. It's a choice. Dance choice. sequence. We're yes. happy. So can I finally go to the next goddamn morning boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus. If you, had, if you had picked up on the first time, I wouldn't have had to correct your work for you. But yes, let's move oh, on. Good point. Good point. Okay, so Ted is super chipper. Um, hey, look at that scarf. I like it. And what does the, uh, the, the gentleman say to him there, coach? Oi, Wanka, don't you fuck up the match. Fantastic. What a, just what a pleasant. fantastic. I love, so listen, at some point, and I just want to call this out. At some point, there was talk about, like, do we make this show PG or not? And it's, like, wildly accessible. Um, my teenagers watch it. Um, we don't. We build in, so I love profanity. Absolutely love it. I think it's beautiful and part of the language. And the way that profanity progresses in any language is indicative of where the language is. And um, I think profanity is something that needs to be learned how to be used properly. So what we do in our family is we structure like at certain ages, it unlocks, it's like leveling up for language. You get to unlock certain words. Like my, my, it's, it's so good. I'm telling you, I'm not saying that it works for everybody, but it works for us. Like my 10 year old, when he hit 10, he got to say hell. That's great. So he could, oh, he yeah. could say what the hell. And like, oh my God, he like glows when he gets to say it. Um, so we have these different things. And, um, I just think in general, it was a great choice that they didn't, soften this up mm-hmm. because because the world is honest mm-hmm. uh sorry because the show is honest and it's trying to represent the honesty of the world and how the world actually is you know people swear they do yeah and so when they swear in this show it feels honest and you know you got this this old guy walking up and swearing at him and i'm like yep that sounds sounds about right also i don't know if this is just my american naivete but there's something about a British person doing it that makes it sound more refined. Yes. So so when the old guy is saying, don't fuck up the match, you're like, well, that probably just means like, do a good job today, sir, because it's British slang. <laughs> yeah, I love so it. So it's entirely different. Thank you, my lord. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like yeah. some comedian said something about how kids speaking in other languages always sound so much smarter. You're like, oh, holy shit, that six-year-old knows French. Even though they're French, yeah, that's that, right. And then if you're in, in, if you talk to any of your English friends, they're like, "Yeah, not everyone here is the fucking Duke of Marlboro, dude." Yeah, like, no, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure you are. So, um, hey, I appreciate you. Well, we'll see what happens. Hey, I appreciate you. We'll see what happens, huh? Um, so then we do the scone, uh, t- scone, uh, boss. Do that line, the scone line that he says to Henry. <laughs> says scones tastes like a muffin except it sucks all the spit out of your mouth which it does <laughs> that's so funny i love absolutely love scones but i'm a snob so there might be that um so he says hey what do you say some people's kids man which i thought was so funny in that it's his kid um yes. and michelle's looking out the window hey isn't it look great out here and this was such a nice moment mm-hmm. because he says that to her and she turns around and you get to see um you know, Jason Sudeikis pulls this beat off where mm-hmm. you see a quantum change come over him. Mm-hmm. And Coach, talk us through that. Well, his face, as he sees her crying, like, it's not just that his face falls. Because I think that would be selling the moment short. Like, I felt like I watched all of Ted crumble. And he just immediately, like, 
I, I just and I know the feeling like when you love somebody, it's even if it's your your kid falling and hitting their knee, like you have to learn how to like work through that moment because the first time one of my kids got hurt, I mean, you just want to fix, you just want to fix it. And I I could see on his face that here he was enjoying this beautiful moment and he saw her crying and he even moves toward her. He just wants to fix it. She should never be crying. Like that's part of his mission in life is what I got out of it. It's like, he's like, wait, what? Like that's wrong and has to be changed that you're crying. Um, I I thought it was absolutely, uh, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. His shoulders drop, his knees bend. He turns to the side, the, the, the volume of his voice changes. His head turns uh, sideways. I mean, it is like you see a physical wave come over him as he realizes what's happening. And you're 100% right about that, uh, Coach. And so when he says, Michelle, you got to talk to me, um, this one was – this is, this is again, it, it – they could have we we often talk about what the choices they don't make in this show and how and how smart and 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 cagey these choices are but it's not this is not shaming and blaming right this is not um i'm resentful cuz you cheated mm-hmm. and that comes out we get a bomb like that it, it is the most understandable of of all the reasons which is it's not there anymore and and you know you want to walk us through this part of it there boss I do, but I'm also going to bleed over into the next scene. So I don't know if we want to uh, prep that first or if I should just. Just sound sound off. Do it all. Perfect. So what she says to him exactly is that I should also say Ted says you have to talk to me and then says Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And she says every day I wake up hoping that I'll feel the way I felt in the beginning. But maybe that's what marriage is, right? I'll keep trying. You know, I will. Mm. Which. It's like, Jesus, just me saying those words right now is difficult. I cannot imagine how they as actors made it through the scene or how people in real life would need to get through that because it's destroying. Um, But you could tell that Ted is so much more unhappy with that answer, that it's not anything that he could fix, that she's going to keep trying at it, but that the answer is she doesn't feel the way that she used to. And the next scene is him in his office talking to Nate and Beard about his marriage. And, you know, I'm assuming letting them in on what had happened um, when Higgins comes in. Uh, One of the other great asides is that uh, Nate says it's so complicated. Have you ever been married, uh, Coach Beard? And Beard says, ha! That's so funny. Just flat out. No. Uh, um, uh, Ted's comparison is that uh, romantic relationships are like cooking steak. If you spend more than five minutes on it, it loses its flavor. So apparently. And he goes, Yeah, it's not about right coaching. He's like, Yeah. Yep. Like, duh. What this says for me is that Beard is available. So I'm into that. (laughs) I like that positive takeaway. And and, and not, Mm -hmm. which is interesting too. He's, He's both available and not. It, that's exactly how I like it. <laughs> Schrodinger's boyfriend is really what I'm looking for the most. <laughs> um, oh, there's great. some talk in there where, uh, you know, Nate asks if things are bad, why did you decide to leave? And Ted basically said that the therapist suggested that he give Michelle some space 
because he wasn't able to fix it. And what he was doing was making it worse. And so all of this uh, sort of culminates in Higgins coming in. Uh, Ted asks Higgins about his relationship. Higgins says he's been married for 28 years and has five kids, a dog, a cat who's impending death is going to wreck him emotionally all in a small house. I'm sort of steamrolling through this because I'm sure we're going to backtrack. But what I want to get to is that the takeaway, the truth bomb that Higgins drops is that when you're married to the right person, even the hard parts are easy. And I hate to disagree with Higgins, except I'm fully going to. I think that that simplifies relationships in a lot of ways and that it sort of dismisses the difficulty in being married or being in a long-term relationship. And that it isn't that if you're married to the right person, the hard parts are easy. It's that if you're in a relationship and facing the hard parts and still want to be, you are with the right person. So I don't know how familiar you are with the sort of like classical end uh, quote black church, but you better preach. Um, that was <laughs> so good. And you are so on target. And and I love that you said that because that scene, it's funny. And there was something about the line that, didn't, that I didn't understand why that line didn't land for me quite right. And you just... Oh my God, got it. And it reminds me of a lyric from, um, there's a Luther Vandross song and it's I'd rather, and he says, I'd rather have hard times with you than good times with someone else. I'd rather be beside you in a storm than safe and warm by myself. I'd rather have hard times together than to have it easy apart. I'd rather have the one who holds my heart. And to me, I'd rather is different than it's easy. It's, yes. I love you so much. I'd rather be beside you in a storm than safe and warm by myself does not mean that the storm is not a storm. And I, and, yes. and yes, you, wow, you, you drilled that. Well, now, thank that, you. That line I, didn't bump, didn't bump for me at all. And, and, um, I totally get and appreciate where you're coming from, boss. For me, here's what I heard. And this, and this is why I think it landed for me. I have had the line is that's the thing though. If you're right, if you're with the right person, even the hard times are easy. And for what I what I heard was as a person who has been through the hard times with the wrong person mm. and then been through the hard times with the right person, there's no comparison. There's no absolutely no comparison. So maybe it's just that they're easier. But um mm. yeah, it worked for me. I mean, I definitely I also sorry, I'm gonna um uh real quick coach Bishop counter your Luther Vandross line with the um uh white college girl equivalent, which is bright eyes. In uh, first day of my life, nice. when he says, "I'd rather be working for a paycheck than waiting to win the lottery," mm. which I think is about the same. Um, and and mm. no, uh, Coach Castleton, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. I think the issue is that no amount of effort with someone who is wrong is going to make things right, but a certain amount of effort with someone who is close to right will make things pretty good. Like, I, I just, I get really hesitant to say that the issue is you were with the right person or you were with the wrong person or, you know, however we do this. I think the issue is, do you want to keep working at it? Not do you feel you're obligated to, not are you worried what your family is going to think or you don't want your neighbors to know you're getting divorced or the kids might be affected. Like, if what you want to be doing is still working at it, 
then that's the right person. And once you don't want to be working at it anymore, you got to jump ship because there's no way you're ever get coming back from that. I think Michelle is in a position where she doesn't want to work at it anymore, but she doesn't want to hurt Ted. And so she's staying in a relationship that is inadvertently hurting him because she doesn't want to hurt him. Mm-hmm. That's spoken like someone who Machiavelli's people into telling them their secrets. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you remember these well, words when I rip your heart from your chest, sir. <laughs> seriously. Um, so we, you have glossed over one of my favorite moments, which is fine. Um, but Let's we go have back. to go. We have to go back and, and mark it, which is when Higgins arrives. He said there are two brilliant Higgins moments mm-hmm. in this scene. One is when he arrives and he says, "You know, I heard one of you had my phone, and Beard has it." And yes. Beard says, "I deleted some apps to optimize performance." I I sat there. Yes. It just like a dog with my head turned, being like, "Wait, what?" Like Beard was like, "Yeah, this is perfectly reasonable. This phone's not working. Like, I'm going to help you out here, buddy." Like, just totally. I'm like, "Oh my god the 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 type of person that that would take." He says, "Yeah, I deleted some apps," and he says, "Not battleships. I hope not battleships. I hope." And and listen, okay, God, I, I love that so much because. Listen, I have a theory. It could it, for for evolved humans like like Coach Bishop. Maybe this isn't the the same thing, but in general, notice I didn't say boss. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't wasn't going to lump you in there. Um, I I so my my better half is like an unbelievable accomplished person, but every once in a while she'll basically play on her phone like this horrible version of it's basically candy crush it's called merge dragons and she'll just sit there and get locked into merge dragons and it's so we all have different for for some people it's social media for some other people it's Mm -hmm. video games or like you know hardcore rpgs or whatever there's all sorts of ways that we distract ourselves but i i detest the Sometimes I'll I'll be in in parent groups where people talk about screen time, Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm. And what always happens, what I always have to talk about is that parents are preaching all this stuff about screen time. And meanwhile, they're on their phones at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. They're on their phones. And I'm like, you can't say one thing and expect them to do another. Like you can't show – you have to model the type of behavior you're talking about. And if you can't be honest with yourself – about the release that it gives you, about the the joy that you get mm-hmm. from connecting with socially. If you can, if it's just literally like it is for 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 Lady C, it's like turning off her brain for a minute and doing something. You know, it's like Tetris, like doing something mind numbing that is, is predictable that, that you can get into. And so I love the concept of of Higgins a playing ba- battleships, which is so funny. <laughs> and second of all, where he's like that he protested like the first thing that came to mind was like oh shit because he was probably at a spot in the game mm-hmm. where he's like he'd worked to you know and i'm like i love this so much and i just love the honesty around it and once it was gone he was like ah well i was probably playing that too much anyway because we all have that reaction to it like oh damn maybe i should you know mm-hmm. uh, pump the brakes on on playing skyrim tonight or whatever the hell <laughs> anyways it's just so honest and wait okay and then the second thing the uh, second beautiful moment of this mm-hmm. is we talk about inclusiveness in this show and how Nate had been welcomed in to now have the metaphor joke with with Beard. Um, Higgins has been out in the cold. When George Cartrick was the manager, it was unthinkable for him to even walk down to the player floor, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. He would not be allowed in the locker room. Um, when, when he high, goes to high-five the guys mm-hmm. in the pilot, they all walk right by him. He is an outsider. 
and they invite him in. They say, Hey, wait, we want to get your, your, your take on something. And he's like, you could, it just, it, he's so thrilled to be invited into the inner sanctum as it were. And he does this physical comedy <laughs> thing. Which he oh my God. I want to give myself the hiccups. I, I, he tries to sidle up to Nate on top of the bookshelf. Like he's one of the gang and, and Nate like just moves over awkwardly. And then he kind of gives up on the move. Yes. Higgins just yes. kind of yeah. gives up and just stands there. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is like golf clap. You know, I'm just like, Oh my God. Physical comedy. Just so beautiful. So smart. Um, and I'm just thrilled. You know, I love the, the Higgins character and, and I think it's, it's just amazing what they've done with him. And um, I just loved that beat. Yeah, no. I thought the whole scene was great. I uh, the only thing I need to add is how in the hell did Coach Beard hack into Higgins' phone in order to delete the apps <laughs> to make the phone run more? That is a, Beard is like war games. Like he, you know, Beard Beard's got some 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 rudimentary programming know how somewhere in there. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, it made there was so much about it that made me laugh. It also, there was just that now it's being described. There's something inside me that knows Coach Beard didn't like go through his text messages or anything nefarious like that, right? Like somehow he intuited. No, of course not. He somehow intuited that this phone is not doing as well as it should. And so he fixed it. Like, it, we all, we also know Higgins' passcode is one, two, three, four. First I mean, of we all. We all know that. First yeah. of yeah. all. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely true. I also, it, just from a, a viewer standpoint on the show, I like that they didn't bother setting up why it was that Higgins lost his phone and Beard has it. Right. They just threw this in because it would be funny. I like that they trusted the viewers enough to know that we would go along on this ride. Yeah. I, think- I mean, last episode we saw we saw Higgins throw his own phone into the air and barely catch it. So Yes. <laughs> Um, I I like that you mentioned trust and trusting the audience. And I hadn't thought about that in terms of the show in general, but I think there's a great deal of trust placed in the audience. And I think that some of these jokes that just sort of like happen there and are left there um, when we're, you know, I can't wait to unpack that. You know, I love if that's a joke, I love it. Um, and if it's not, I can't wait to unpack that with you, right? Like, it yes. doesn't do a whole bit then, well, in our country, we're dealing with it, right? Like, it's not like we're all intelligent people here. It was a joke. It was funny. Got it. Moving on. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of trust of the audience in general with this show. There is some, there is some jingoism, though, some nationalist pride here when we're doing the, when we're or, uh, pointing out the difference between 911 and 999. Mm. That was so deeply Ted, though, to, because the point he made really was a valid point. And I love that they all were able to get into it. And I think because he is Ted about it, it wasn't our way is better because it's our way. It was, hey, doesn't 999 present this particular problem? And as he walked them through it, I loved everybody kind of going, good point. Um, again, yeah. another way of them sort of like getting on that same wavelength of, what he sees. I mean, you would have told me it was 999 and I would have said, oh, OK, it's different here. And I would have moved on with whatever we were talking about. But there's never uh, there's never anything like that in Ted's world. He's constantly present. So, oh, 999. Let's talk about that now. That's interesting. Um, so anyway, well, I, I think love if, that moment. If, we, if we've learned anything in this um, podcast, the four episodes we've done together, c- comprising 38 hours of audio time. <laughs> Um, it's that it's that you just don't have a great analytical mind, coach. You know, 
Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Um, okay, so so now we are at we are at it, it's match day, match day, and hands in. Everybody's doing rah rah, and meanwhile Jamie's in the back taking selfies. Um, beard glares at him. Did you catch that angry beard there, boss? Of course. I mean that's that's going to be enough for a week for me. <laughs> he, <laughs> whew, fan, fanning yourself um he he uh, he um he uh walks away though he doesn't address it because it's not his department and i really like that mm-hmm. the the personnel side of it is ted's job beard is very clear in, that he doesn't like it um and now we have the conversation jamie are you a germaphobe why wouldn't you put your hands in i didn't want to and um Channel hopper. I don't know if the, is that a Midwestern thing, boss. Do you know that term, channel hopper? Uh, that isn't what we called it ever. But also, I don't know if the Chicago suburbs are exactly Midwest. Hmm. I mean, uh, definitely, uh, technically, we are, but there's a lot of regional differences. Also, we didn't really believe in remotes until I was like 15. Mm. So by that point, we just called them remotes because I think that had become the, the national slang more than anything else. Actually, if anything, it reminded me of um, uh, Kenneth's line from 30 Rock about how he, he couldn't use the, the channel changer because there was a bug on it, which I'm butchering, but that's the only thing I came up with. <laughs> Wait, what, what did Kenneth say? He couldn't use the channel changer because why? Because there was a bug on it. So Jenna was trying to teach him about um, doing a humble brag. So she was like, oh, it's so hard for me to watch American Idol because my pitch, perfect pitch. And he said, oh, well, it's hard for me to change the channel clicker because there's a giant water bug on it. (laughs) (laughs) He really he really captured that. That's perfect. Sure did. Um, So. Jamie offers to make a deal with Ted. How about you and me make a deal? You get to keep preaching all your yeehaw bullshit. And in exchange, I'll keep ignoring you because this team is tragic. And, uh, you know, he goes on. I'm the only one they, they come to see. I score all the goals. Does that sound fair? And he mocks Ted by saying hands in. This is like overtly rude and and mm-hmm. um, disrespectful. Yeah. Now, Ted, Ted is glaring at him. You can see like Ted is is building up to a boil. I'd love to hash out some of the nuances there, but I'm not having the best of days. Jamie cuts him right off. Actually, it doesn't matter what you say, because in my head, I'm just hearing the crowd cheer my name after I score a goal tonight. And then he does a dance. Yeah. <laughs> and he thrusts his hips. Whew. I mean, he's a he is at. So uh, Coach Bishop will, will tell you. Will, I, I don't know if you remember this. I, I've said this many times over the years and we're in the same fantasy football league. But I always marvel at sportscaster d- distance, which is these are like like when you're a sportscaster, you're in a booth with someone that like Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels are shoulders they're touching, and then they turn their heads and they're like their noses are two inches away. And if you ever get that close to someone, it is bizarrely awkwardly close. But you wouldn't think of it because you're seeing it on your TV, and until until you notice it, it just doesn't jump out at you. And they're basically at sportscaster distance, these two. And Jamie is, has his arms in the air and thrusting at him, singing the Jamie Tart song. Mm-hmm. Coach, what did you make of that? Well, it's it was so deeply disrespectful. I mean, like, it was so – and, like, intended to be. He's, like, an impetuous child um, in that moment. It's also, though, he's not a child. He's a man, and he knows exactly what he's doing and why it's as – I mean, that, that, the, the, and you introduced me to that idea, what Roy was saying when he was telling them to fuck off and doing the two fingers. I mean, this, this strikes me as like 
a level up from the two fingers. I mean, like truly fuck off. Like I mean, that's how up, I read that. Up to this point, right? The, the, the you you know, like if you put yourself in the world of the show, Ted has lost. Just he keeps losing. Um, respect by the Greek chorus at the pub, by the people on the street. Like he has backs not that he's ever had any he started at zero and he's he's in negative numbers now. Four straight losses. Um Jamie began by uh sorry coach, you know, I'll do better. And then doing the wanker thing behind his back that Ted saw in the mirror. Mm-hmm. But this is to his face. Jamie has made a calculation that Ted is not long for this world. And he no longer has to treat him with respect. That, that a typical gaffer deserves because he's not going to make it. I think that it was definitely that. Um, I think that the showrunners are doing something interesting with the audience in that they are showing how characters perceive other characters based on the original character's mood. So in the same way that Keeley was like, oh, this guy's a douche after they'd broken up and when she was seeing him at the photo shoot, I think the fact that Ted is having the shit of all shitty days right now is when Jamie's behavior is just so wildly over the line. He can't handle it anymore. There, if, if if this had been a week before, or if the visit with Michelle had gone well, mm. maybe he could have handled this, but right now he can't handle this. My, my biggest regret was we didn't get to hear how Ted handled it. He says, oh. I need you to cut the crap. As undeniably catchy as that is, I need you to cut the crap right now. And then Henry walks in. But I was like, what, how does he handle situations like this? Right. You know, right. How, like, what is the coaching philosophy that handles this? Like, overt disrespect. I mean, I thought, I mean, <clears throat> I certainly thought he was going to lay into him. I would have been curious to see, to see it. Like, to actually, like you're saying, what happens if we don't get dad? What if he's already up in the, you know, owner's box or whatever, and we just see this scene? Um, play out. I thought in an interesting way, and I just thought of it because you said it, Henry plays a buffer here too. Um, oh, yeah. and, and becomes, right? And then we communicate now through Henry and, and Jamie does it quite self-consciously with the signing of the shirt. And, you know, next time I score a goal, it won't be, it just be for me. It'll be for you too. And then he says, but just for us. Like he's like, just in case this could even be misread by you, stupid. I want you to know that I'm saying through your son that the goals I score will never be for you or for anybody else who had their hands in that circle. Um, So I I thought it was a, you know, an interesting piece there. One, One thing I'd add to it that I thought that Henry wanting Jamie's autograph and being excited and Ted not ruining that. I thought was quintessential Ted and brought us back to who he fundamentally is. Because I could see, even if he went through with the autograph, when we're working, walking out and, and my son starts to sing this asshole's theme song, <laughs> I got to at least, I got to at least do a little distracting something like I can't listen to that. And, but, but Ted could, and, and not because he wanted or needed to hear it, but because his son was enjoying singing it. And I thought that was like, as Ted, as it gets. And, and his, and his, and his dad, it's just a good dad. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was beautiful. Again, beautifully written, beautifully acted. Um, the duality in that scene where Jamie was a absolute prick to Ted while also being very kind and sweet to the little boy at the exact same time. 
doing the, every move mm-hmm. he made, every choice he made was a fuck you to Ted, while the kid had no idea that anything was going on except that he was being nice. And um, then, man, a moment that, again, I, oh, God, the hockey player in me. He walks past Beard. Jamie walks mm-hmm. out. He says, he says, good lad to Henry. And he walks back Beard and he goes, good boy to mm. Beard. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, though, that was Beard showed a lot of restraint there. <laughs> it was, whew, that was a lot. Yeah, I thought Beard showed a I, ton I'm of I'm pretty sure. There. I'm pretty sure Beard comes at you like a spider monkey, though. I mean, I, I, I don't think. I think I, I'm guessing if Beard fights, it's an unorthodox fighting style. Is all I'm saying. Effective like, though, uh, drunk, effective, drunken master, though. something. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he's yeah. not. He's not. He's not a straight up, uh, you know, fisticuffs boxer kind of, uh, you know, pugilist. I think he's uh, he's got some. He's got some some swerve in his game, in his fighting game. You know, uh, uh, Coach Castleton. A friend of ours that we have in common. Uh, one of the nicest things he's ever said about me is, "If you're wondering if you and Bone are still fighting, you're already dead." <laughs> and I feel like that might apply to Beard a little bit. That sounds like he's sounds not, about right. Yeah, he's not going to do anything to Jamie right now because that might undermine Ted's authority on the team. But right. if if Jamie uh, doesn't realize what he's done. Soon he will. Right, I love it. So we're we are we are losing. We're losing big in this game. We cut to the the Greek chorus. Uh, un- everybody's losing their minds, swearing at the TV. Um, uh, you know, fucking lasso. I hate that poxy wanker. Um, which is gross. <laughs> which is gross. If you if you break that, if you unpack that that line, <laughs> ugh, that's pretty gross. Um, and then Paul goes. Nice family, though. And you remember, <laughs> do you remember, what, you remember what Baz says, Coach? Damn it, Paul. Don't humanize him, which I thought was great because it's what oh. they are always pissed at him about is like, stop being nice to him. So it's just, yeah, I just thought it was great. This is like fun. They, that, again, that could be awful, right? Like that could be uh, just this weird commentary in the middle of the show, sticky jokes whatever and instead it really does give us a glimpse into the world and it gives us a great set of eyes all six of them for watching ted and watching this whole thing evolve so yeah but yeah don't humanize it made me laugh out loud and it's and it's where we are in the world it's how we watch sports um you can say like oh my fantasy football team uh you know God damn, Lamar Jackson! Why didn't you throw three touchdowns this weekend? Right. And you can be like, God, like you, you killed me, man. Right. And then, but if Lamar Jackson like sees that tweet and he's like, Hey, man, I'm really sorry about that. You'd be like, Oh shit, I <laughs> yeah. sorry, sorry, Lamar Jackson. I'm, I'm big fan. You're really excellent. You know, like it's just like yeah. this whole thing that we do. We completely dehumanize people in sports, in politics. You know, we do it in different ways with politics, but it's like. Oh, you're not the perfect person. How dare you? Like that's the D, you know, like no, they're human. I get people get to be human. It's crazy. Well, well also it's so it's like so deeply self-centered, right? Like it's just truly like how this impacts me. Like here's this guy, you met his family, he's he's traveled all this way, right? but it's just like my team's not winning. Um, boss, I will tell you that in another iteration of our lives, we uh Coach Castleton and I did a fantasy football podcast. 
Um, and the theme song for one of our segments, very aware of the dynamic he just described, went, I was depending on him and he hope he, and I hope he dies. Fuck that guy. So we speak of that which we know. I completely, completely forgot I about that. Know. Right. We've dehumanized people for a long time, boss. I am standing and applauding. I, I, I love that this is now a singing podcast. And I would like to say, I think it is very evolved that you guys have that viewpoint that, uh, it, you know, there aren't a lot of dudes who are very into sports who would be able to recognize that they are, you know, rooting for somebody to maybe get hurt, even though that's a real person. I think that's great. And absolutely none of it applies to Tom Brady because now until the day I die, if I ever run into him, I will say, is this three or four, Tom? Are we looking at three or four until he gets a restraining order? That's really funny. That's, 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 I mean, like, I don't know why you'd pick on Tom Brady. It's not like he's ever done anything make anybody angry you know the, here's the thing um mm. you know no, no no i mean he's he's like just a really pleasant pleasant fellow and um <laughs> anyway you're not gonna get me to say bad words about tom brady job terrific <laughs> huh listen boss cram it up your fucking cram hole there guy all right the, um i mean uh, the, the thing, uh, the thing that, that i think we got to point out is coach got bars baby <laughs> yeah, coach got bars. I'm cute as a button, and I can sing my ass off. So there you go. <laughs> so, so Richmond, Richmond are down two nil, two nil after six minutes. That's that's like, oh my god, the crowd is going crazy. Wanker, wanker. Um, it's that's a disaster. Down two nil after six minutes. I mean, that's like, oh my god, that's, that's shellacking. And Jamie scores to to slice the the deficit in half. Um, and everybody in the pub goes crazy. They all sing the Jamie Tart song that we heard first, by the way, from Jamie Tart himself thrusting his mm-hmm. hips at his coach. Um, and, and then Jamie goes and does the thing on the back of his jersey, me, me, me. And, and Coach Bishop's team, when he says me, you say, we. There you go. And so Ted and, Coach Bishop being – I'm not sure they didn't just steal your life story, Coach, and <laughs> – It's like watching my soul on Apple TV. It's really disconcerting. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, there may be a lawsuit here. But um, so Ted thought it was meat, which I thought was, I thought was really funny. Um, again, that might be a, a Bull Durham reference because um, that's what Crash calls Nuke. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I Listen, half of my existence is seeing Bull Durham references where they aren't. So – um, it's like yeah. my whole waking uh, raison d'existence. But um, so we get a foul on Sam right outside the box. Um, it's going to be a direct kick. And Jamie walks over uh, and li- walks literally over Sam. Oof. Now, it's funny to me because and I don't know if this is a cultural. Th- I'm sure it's a cultural thing. But I, my mother is a Greek woman from from the old country in Greece. And <laughs> you cannot walk over someone on the ground and, and like it's not just Greek. oh it's not oh it's not okay good like she'll be like did you just cross over your sister like like oh yeah mom i just walked over my sister she's like cross back quickly cross back don't you put that curse on him you know like that's this crazy right. thing that you're cursing somebody like if you walk over their legs 
that you're cursing oh. their legs if you walk over their ch- like she's like what did you walk over like when you walked over your you know your brother was playing a board game and you walked over his walk right back over the same place that you oh, you wow. take the curse off him that's it yeah i don't know if there was a curse element. So that's that's my child childhood in a nutshell so <laughs> there it is there it is. What they cross over on you? So. Seriously, what, what got crossed? Didn't they get never crossed back, Coach. They never did. So um, anyway, totally disrespectful in general. And um, and Roy's had enough. Boss, you want to walk us through this? Yes. So actually, my favorite part about this is how the announcers are describing it. Roy has enough. He shoves Jamie. Uh, he walks over and says, "Check on your teammate." And the announcers say, well, we've got the captain giving the superstar some advice. Nothing wrong with that, which seems like we haven't had a lot of like super Britishy humor yet. And that seems mm-hmm. like one of the most Britishy to me. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. they're about to get into a fight and the announcers are stiff upper lipping it to pretend that they're just having, you know, some advice about right. the best way to right. the situation. <laughs> just That's a spot true. of conversation on the field. Oh, <laughs> Uh, then, of course, Jamie, instead of going over to check on Sam, goes over to Sam and takes the ball away from him. Uh, Roy and Jamie and, get to a fight. And rolls him over. And rolls him over, yes. Like, did not not doing what you're supposed to do as the superstar, as the leader uh, of the team in a lot of ways. Um, at that point, Roy and Jamie get into a fight. I can't remember which baseball game it was that I was watching a few years ago. Uh but definitely there were two Cubs players who started punching each other in their own dugout. And that was not a year when the Cubs were doing well. And as a White Sox fan, it was the best thing I'd ever seen. So, so every like, year. So every year, every year. You can't keep it together on the field. So you're literally going to beat each other up in your own dugout. Awesome. Right. Good choices, guys. The big, um, the big question is why all the rest of the Cubs weren't doing that as well. I mean, they probably they're Cubs. I, so I want I want to say it was Zambrano and Barrett, but don't hold me to that. Anyway, I love it. Um, uh, the actual the best part of this, I love that they're now getting into a little bit more of the soccer flops and a few of the other things mm-hmm. that go along with it. The, the acting that happens in soccer. Yeah, that's some nice fan service right there. That's pretty good. Uh, so I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull you up. You're gonna pretend to limp very badly. And you're going to gesture like you think you can bravely go on. Oh, my God. So <laughs> They'll love it. And then it's exactly the, the commenters eat it up. Coaches are clapping. I mean, it is, that is so good. So accurate and so good. But I love, too, that it's from Roy to Sam. You know that I think that they are sort of the heartbeat of this thing. I don't think it's a coincidence that we meet them First in the locker room, they're shoulder to shoulder. It's sort of like they're at the opposite ends career-wise and sort of like that general attitude-wise. I think that fact that, um, you know, it's about passing the ball to Sam and getting Sam where he needs to go. That's such a a barometer for where the team is at any given moment. Um, I love that that's a little piece of like stagecraft that uh, (laughs) the, the wily old vet. Yes. You know, hands off to, yes. to, to Sam of all people, like the little puppy dog who whose instinct is just to pop right up and not understand. Like, no, you got a thing. You got to do the thing. It's for the fans. Like, they'll love it. And um, innocence yeah, versus experience that. again. Like, same right. Innocence versus experience. Yeah. And I'll say one thing, and I'm glad they, they pointed this out, but flopping is what lost me in soccer as a soccer fan. Like, I played soccer for years and 
love the sport, still love, absolutely adore the sport, but like the flopping is murder. It's it got to the point maybe 10 years ago was probably the, maybe even more recently. They still do it, but they don't do it as badly. But it seriously like borderline ruins the sport when you watch it. Cause you're like, come on. Like it's worse with instant replay because. Yeah. You can see guys are untouched and they do the thing. They throw their head back. They grab at a part of their body. They roll like 11 teen fucking rolls, you know, <laughs> you go, like, you know, you knock it off. You're like, that is not, uh, it's so frustrating as a fan because it, it, it otherwise hurts in like the beautiful game. You're just like, just, just stop. Like, I don't know why at, at some point the, the sort of um, propensity to tough your way through an injury was trumped by the strategic advantage of throwing yourself to the ground. And I think hopefully we're on our way back, but um, it's a terrible part of soccer. So and you made and in, I'll say this again, in, well, just as another point, mm-hmm. they don't have it in women's soccer. Sometimes you watch women's soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, like I got back into it like crazy. My favorite team in any sport ever was the most recent uh, women's U.S. Uh, national yes. women's team. I love them so much. But you're, yes. they tough everything out. And, and you're like, you know, this is like how it should be. I just love it. Love that. God, I love that team so much. Oh, my God. But uh, they were amazing and they won the World Cup and it was worth it but um you know you if you watch uh if you watch just the the wsl or you know, the nwsl it's you know that's it they're not throwing themselves on the ground like it's just so much better well i've got some pretty good feelings about that team and i have been known to sport my rapino jersey so there's that nice. um just love just love that team um at any rate but also i think what you just put forward i wonder and i don't know if this was written in Right. And I think we make good use of it here and it's fun and it's a great thing. But what you described around the flopping, I hear you saying it's a lack of honor. And I just think maybe just something for us to think about as we're as we're revisiting and going through these episodes and doing like there's something not honorable about it's one thing. All right. He really did go down. He was hurt. Now we're going to have a little fun with the crowd. It's another thing altogether to like fake some major injury as if your leg's been severed from your body and then pop right up as soon as the yellow card is handed out. I think that's a different uh, deal. And there is a lack of um, shame, lack of shame around it. And yeah, Yeah. no, no. And and we can, this, we could have a podcast is, uh, is there honor left in the world? That could be an entire, (laughs) that's not a, that's not even an episode. That is a, you know, 40 seconds. Yeah. That's a whole show. Um, the short answer is no, but but I'm glad you brought it up. And um, you know, <laughs> we we hope we hope for a better world. Um, we hope for for less flopping in soccer uh, in general. Um, we get the direct kick, and Jamie scores. You know, there's some there's a rhetorical question: Will Jamie pass or will he take it? Of course, he's going to take it. And he's in the 38th minute, which is right before halftime. Um, and Ted notices what? What does he see on the field, Coach? Uh, he celebrate Jamie. He celebrates alone, and and Ted really notes that. And it's more of the me, me, me. Like he's literally like you'd say some people have a me attitude. Like he's like in case there's any mistake or anybody might be lulled into believing I don't have a me attitude. I'm just gonna scream me over and over again. Like that's how subtle that's gonna be. Um, 
but I love Ted taking it in. And I'll say that as a coach, and actually for me, it was the locker room moment. Yes. I, yes. In the locker room, I said out loud to Ted because obviously he can hear me and my opinions from my home influence how the story is going to unfold. I said, you got to bench him. Yep. I said it. And I remember talking to you about it, Coach Castleton. Yeah, just no, like, no. Independent of like, oh, it's a show. Independent. Like, I was just with him in that moment as a coach in that locker room. I was like, you have got to bench him. That's that. that can't that's your can't coach choice. it. Can't can't win with him. Can't do <laughs> it. A, can't do it. Can't right? do it. I mean, you that, can't. That's right. I, I, that's I looked right. at that and I was like, you can't. You cannot have that on your team. Can't you cannot have, have it. And they, cannot have it. No, you can't have it. Can't win with it, can't do it. I don't want to woman explain sports to you gentlemen, but I do need to point <laughs> out it is actually Beard who points at Jamie and Ted turns around to notice it. Yes. Great Be- call. I love that you'll use any excuse to heighten <laughs> Beard over Ted. We should just call this the Coach Beard Show. Instead of Ted Lasso. Would that suit you? They probably screwed up the name to begin with. It should be uh, Rebecca and Coach Beard have really great times together. And neither are defined by their work relationship. Exactly. (laughs) I want to see the the beard. I want to see the Coach Beard um, and uh, Roy Kent buddy cop movie. Holy shit. Give it all of my money. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay. So, okay, so now we see the announcers do like a phenomenal job in this. We certainly haven't seen this before. Ted Lasso's heading into the stands. He says, I'll be right back. Um, oh, my God. He's not slowing down on those steps. That's some real impressive cardio from Ted Lasso there. Okay, can I, I jump? Yeah, jump in. I cackled. So, one, so funny. Works on the surface. Also, he just ran across the field to his family, what, 10 minutes ago? This is Ted Lasso. He has boundless energy in pursuit of what he is trying to create and the world he's trying to create. I mean, he could run around the equator if it meant getting his team where it needs to go. And I just for me, I thought like, oh, how brilliant works on that top level. The joke is just like it is very funny. But beneath that, it's who he is. Talk about metaphor. Talk about (laughs) metaphor. I mean, right, he right. is like, and he's ready to go up all the way up. Where's, where, where is, where is uh, Rebecca? She's not somewhere f- just across the field. She's up, right? She is up from on high. She can give a thumbs up or a thumbs down and he goes up to talk to her about it. Um, so yeah, well, I think that, that is a, that is a brilliant, am- amazing Roman emperor reference there. You oh, like that? Yeah. Oh you my like God. That? That a boy coach. I love there you that. Go. Damn, now you're speaking my language. Um, you're right. He's and he checks with her. He's gonna he's gonna I wanna pull out Jamie. Higgins' eyes pop out of his head. <laughs> Higgins, Higgins looks like he's gonna have a stroke. Um and um she's Rebecca says, Yeah, do whatever you want. Um and he, he jogs back down. I love the line. Um boss, did you hear that line uh from the the uh sportscasters as Ted runs back down the stairs. And it appears Ted, Ted, Coach Lasso has decided to rejoin the match already in progress. <laughs> and I will say that if I had to choose between being insulted by a British sportscaster or all of my Irish Catholic aunts, 
I don't know which one I would pick because both of them are That's a tough choice. That is a tough choice. I'm not even going to throw my grandmother in because there's no way anybody could withstand that. (laughs) Really? Oh, God, no. She will cut a bitch. Um, (laughs) I I, just because I'm going to get this in at some point, so I might as well go ahead and throw it in now. The next scene is Ted saying that they're going to sub in uh, nine for 16. Oh, sorry, 16 is going in for nine. Let me make sure I get that right. Because I mm-hmm. noticed here, he says, I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. I have a friend who grew up just outside of New Orleans. And because she went to college undergrad in the North, she intentionally tried to lose her Southern accent because she didn't want to be ridiculed about it. But she mm. still, to this day, despite living in Chicago and San Francisco and nowhere near the South, whatever, will say, I appreciate you at least 25 times a day. And it's adorable. And I love it. And I love so <laughs> much that they made Ted do it because it seems so on brand for him. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's great. I like that he calls the guy the, the, the official highlighter. Highlighter. Hey, highlighter. That's so oh, good. So, good. <laughs> so he brings on um, Roberts and takes off Jamie Tart. Um, the fan starts uh, screaming, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I kind of just loved that. I was like, man, I love that. Che- I've never heard that cheer. And I don't know if it's a cheer. That I can sing. You, you guys might be surprised, but I can sing some. I can sing some fight songs for the Premier League. Um, I know. I know. I know quite. Oh, okay. I know quite a few, and um, I don't have bars like Coach does, so I'm not. I'm not going to subject you to it. But like, <laughs> I am kind of obsessed with the. I mean, listen, they're by and large they're they're boors and drunkards, but um, but the camaraderie of an entire uh, stadium singing the same song really does something for me. I just kind of love it. Um, especially some of the iconic ones that are really connected to the clubs. So I just thought that was really cool. You don't know what you're doing. Um, and even Roy is shocked. Did you see that shot, that insert of Roy mm-hmm. just like trying to shake his head? Like, wait, what? Like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Like, even Roy is shocked. The crowd just is, is bombing wanker, wanker, wanker over and over. Um, and Jamie comes off the field. Um, coach, do you remember what Ted says to, to Jamie when he's approaching him? Hey, way to play out there. Way to get us back in it. Which I thought was great. That's what you would say to any that's right. Anybody he's, coming he, off the field. He, he just treats him like another player. That's great right. job. And 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 boss, what did Jamie say to to Coach Lasso? Shut up, you fucking stupid twat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Oh wait, I'm sorry, but the line that Jamie said was um Oh, sorry, that joke apparently didn't land as well. I was meaning to imply that I was saying that to you. <laughs> and now that I'm explaining it this well, I can feel how much funnier it's getting. <laughs> I got it. I loved everything about that. I, I, uh, I, I, I'm going to openly ask it to be left in. I I'm just openly asking that that be left like in. Like it slightly less than you. <laughs> So, so again, we, we see the overt nature of the disrespectfulness. We see it. Yeah. It is mm-hmm. it is on display, not just for the locker room now, but for every fan of AFC Richmond. And by the time they get in at halftime, Jamie is a ghost. He is gone. He's taken mm-hmm. off his he's taken off his 
his jersey. Um, you guys call it a jersey, right? You call it a jersey, coach. Some people call it a sweater in, in hockey. Sometimes they call it. Yes, you call I it jersey. Say jersey. Yeah, I say jersey. And um, I love this because now Roy Kent, captain of the team, who who got guilted into defending Nate when he didn't want to. Remember, we talked about all this. Mm-hmm. Who who mm-hmm. has now assumed the mantle of responsibility that he had sort of left un, unhandled for uh, many a year. Um, he says, everybody always sit down and listen. And you and I'm like, God, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Now there's this dynamic. He's it, the, the first domino that has to fall inside is inside that man's heart. I love as that moment unfolded, we make room. We, uh, but we, they make room for Nate. Yes. Specifically Isaac. I, I, I want to hear what you have to say about this, Coach Bishop, because you are a coach. And so I want to hear your coaching on coach. Uh, but right, that, right. that was such an important gesture for me that they yes. all scooted over so that Nate could sit next to Isaac. It was so because, good. Hold on one sec. Hold on. I want to point yeah. out something, Coach. I like that you said we. When I say, <laughs> when I say, when I say me, Coach, you say what? We. And it was a we feel moment. like it a really we. Was a this we show moment. pulls you in, right? Like yeah, yeah. You know we we did that. We are we, you are. It's one of those shows you just lose yourself in, and you're not aware of your surroundings. You have fall you fall into yeah. it like a like a pool of water. And um, I love that you said we there, and because that's how it feels. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go 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 right ahead. Sorry about that. I just wanted to point that out. Absolutely. And then, boss, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it too. But for me, the 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 brilliance of it was um, it wasn't a huge deal. And no, you know, the whole room didn't stop to go, that a boy, Isaac. Like, it was like, no, it was like, this is who we are now. And with Jamie gone, it's really who we are. There's no question that everybody left in that room doesn't need to have a big, long moment about Nate sitting down. Because, of course, Nate's sitting down because he's part of the team because we've all bought in. So I just thought, again, so efficient. That little moment to me said, "Like, ooh, we're heading, we're in a new place now. We're in a new place uh, with this team." So I'm tossing it to you, boss. But that that was my reaction. No, I love that it wasn't a heavy-handed gesture. That it was small enough that Roy moved so Isaac could move, so Nate could sit down. I think also that that's really in keeping with the way that Ted would want them to resolve that dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Because Isaac used to pick on him and abuse him at work. Mm-hmm. I think that forcing a larger confrontation and making that a larger issue would have made it harder for Isaac to, in his own way, repent for what he'd done. And for Nate to sort of accept that this is the new dynamic now. Mm-hmm. I think making it small makes it less of an affront to either of their egos and therefore makes it easier for them to become more of a team. So, yeah, I loved Everything about it. I thought it was great. When you're down, great insight. Yeah. It feels great to have someone with clarity of thought to sort of illustrate a point that everybody can get behind to show true leadership. And Ted's methodology around that is he doesn't hammer you over the head with big concepts, but he brings you in and makes you feel. He tries to make you feel something and something that, that everybody can feel. He tries to make it universal. So we have fellas, we're broken, and we need to change. Okay? And look, I know change can be scary. 
that is a that's a constant in life. And if you look around the world, you look around at relationships you have, at you look at companies that can't change even when the world demands they change. You look about political um, things where some people want to change and some people don't. Like the, it changes. Is it can be scary. One minute you're playing freeze tag out there at recess with all your buddies, and the next thing you know, you're getting zits and your voice gets low. And every time your art teacher, Mrs. Scan- Miss Scanlon, leans over your desk to check and see how your project's going, you feel all squiggly inside. Perfect. Right? Perfect. She was a striking woman. Now he goes into this. And I was like, oh my God. So as a writer, I would I would be very nervous to to do this choice, but it, I think it just kind of worked. She was a striking woman. Not classically beautiful, but striking. What I love about that moment is it's an experience, and it's an ex- it's not hot for teacher, right? Like it's not that. It's a different dynamic. It's a thing, and every guy in that room thought back to whatever moment that was for them, or whatever odd thing, or whoever's mom brought them snacks, and he thought, "Oh wow!" Like whatever it was that each guy kind of in that room connected to it, there's a real thing. And there is something beyond it's not. Yeah. It's not a music video with the super hot model version. It's a different, it's a different moment in life. And I love that they took a moment to clarify. But, but, it. That's how I hold on one sec. Piece. Did you, are you saying though, that your version is somebody's mom brought you snacks? I want to hear a little <laughs> more about it. Seemed too, yes. too specific to be uh <laughs> do you really do do you really want a glimpse into my <laughs> no let's move it on first time i ever saw tan moving lines. on that's right um, that <laughs> talk about safe words no, okay, no, no, just keep just go just go um boss you got anything for this speech or was it just as awesome for you as it was for for the rest of it? i thought it was super awesome um i of course, mostly liked uh, Beard's reaction to a lot of it. I mm-hmm. will say that my favorite part about how she was a striking woman, not classically beautiful, but striking, is in the way that makes her more Ted's than just being a hot teacher. Like, mm. this, it's, I don't know. I want to say it's like deciding that John Knight is your favorite from the New Kids on the Block. Like, when you pick the one that isn't the popular one, there's something mm-hmm. that makes it more immediate and makes it more intimate because he's yours now. So mm-hmm. I liked how personal and, this got. Found. And it didn't bother you at all. Like the, I mean, the pendulum, you know, the, the world of, of online writing, which is my, my day job. Um, the pendulum has swung to a place where you just don't even broach the subject of, of someone's looks, uh, male or female, you know, it's not, you know, it's not even, it's sort of like, it can be dangerous ground, but this didn't bother you at all, boss? No, definitely not. I think if the issue with broaching somebody's looks, especially under, let's say, the current administration, is that there mm. is a lot of emphasis put on how your looks determine your value as a person. I mm. think that is the problem. Saying that Jamie is an objectively good-looking dude, or that I think that Roy is hot, or that I think Beard's hot... I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying somebody's physical appearance is pleasing to me. It's then the further leap that if it isn't pleasing to me, then I don't have to value them as a person. I don't think Ted would ever say anything like that or imply anything close to that. He was saying, this is a woman who made me notice how she looked. 
nothing about who she is. And so, and something inside me was yeah. changing, which made that it, accessible. It was about him and his response to how she looks, not about who she was or a value on her as a person. Most of the time, change is a good thing. And I think that's what it's all about, embracing change, being brave, mm. doing whatever you have to do so that everyone in your life can move forward with theirs. Because maybe it's the only way you can truly help her be happy. And obviously by her, I'm referring to Lady Football. (laughs) (laughs) Good save. Good save. Good save. So we see Ted working out his issues. Wait, can I jump in, though? After good save, Roy does this face that's like, man, I'm really buying it. It's just, uh, please, go back. If you only watch this moment. Please. Oh, no, I, saw, I definitely watch. saw that. Yeah. Oh, my God. I laughed out loud. Like, Roy's like, sorry, you're not going to slip that had, by had, me. Had me, lost me. So they switched Sam to midfield. Beer's going to walk you through the rest of the changes. No, hey, one last thing. I want everyone's attention on me when I say this. Look at me. And then what does he do, boss? He jumps up and hits the believe sign, which is <sighs> amazing when he says, I want all eyes on me when I say this. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't say anything else. Perfect. I feel like there needs to be a lassoism book out there of all the things yes. that Ted would say or do, and this would be Ted, he, one. he does he you know he likes a yes. he likes bold choices, you know he likes to wipe the the whiteboard off to ceremonially um, remove mm-hmm. the bad former plan from the team stratagem, but he hits this sucker and departs. Like I mean, Ted Lasso knows how to make an exit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he believes in the symbolic mm-hmm. gesture. Well, as you described that, it reminds me of um, this phrase that came to mind. I believe it was Daryl Dawkins. I may need to fix that later. But who said, when when it's all said and done, there's nothing left to say or do. Actually, I might have been Moses Malone. When it's all said and done, there's nothing left to say or do. And for me, like, forget man of few words, man of no words. I have told you everything you need to know. And now... This is all that's left. Believe. I don't I can't I don't even need to engage with the details. The details of it are irrelevant. Are you gonna go out there and believe or not? That's the question. And I just thought it was a uh, just boil it all down. I will say I that it. I'm just gonna put put a marker on this because it'll it'll come up in later episodes. But believe can be mm-hmm. a problematic concept when when you're mm-hmm. talking about certain topics and so um like if i say um uh you know what it's going to come up in other episodes so i don't want to get into it too much but it's amazing in this context uh, and it can be it can also be a little bit of a trap um i love the button on this scene because an emotional this gives you an emotionally rousing moment and then you have roy kent saying I never really liked Tart. And Sam says, we know Roy. <laughs> so we're back at, we're back in at the end of the game. We got the announcer saying Richmond have played well. And we get the moment. We get the, the, the Roy is off to the races. And he makes the extra pass. And what happens, coach? And, of, and he makes a pass to Obisanya, who's been moved to midfield. He's no longer back there playing defense. So he can be in position to score. The winning goal. Everybody just loses it. Um, it's brilliant. Nate jumps on Ted, which is hysterical. And um, yeah, just wild. This p- 
pandemonium in the bar pandemonium the so bar shots funny. with the beer flying everywhere and everybody celebrating so it's just great just so funny so well earned um emotionally honest so yeah but every Nate jump for me the image and all of that is Nate jumping and, and on immediately apologizing for it too funny for words he's like no it's okay i love the energy love <laughs> right. the spirit yes exactly and then he hands him off. He doesn't drop him down. He just literally turns him like a baby. Yeah, and gives him the beer. Like a baby. Um, yeah. And then they're out on the field. And Roy, do you remember what Roy says to Ted on the field right after they win that game, boss? It took balls what you did. And now Ted says, that's all we got yeah. is balls, Roy. That's all we got. And I was like, huh. Okay. Because we're going to come back to that. Because I'm not sure that's all we got. But right. now, now mm. we get the wanker cheer. Except this time, it sounds a bit different. Instead of wanker, 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 it's wanker, clap, 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 wanker, clap, clap, clap. And same word, ain't it? And he says, yeah, but different. Like back in the 80s. Exactly. Exactly. And then we, (laughs) Brennan Hunt must do a real mean Doc Brown impression because they wedged that right in here. Ronald Reagan. You know, the whole, the actor. It was great. So I love when you do Doc Brown. Now we have a beautiful moment between a father and son. Yes. One of the iconic yes. moments between father and son where every child asks his daddy, <laughs> what's a wanker? And coach, what does he say? <laughs> That's a man who likes to be alone with his thoughts, <laughs> which was another which was another pause the show moment for me. I just thought, because if you've been a parent, like you've – Every parent has had some moment where they're like, okay, all right. Ah, wow. I've got to explain this. Mm-hmm. All right. Like, just like that delay when you're like, how am I going to say this? And I just thought, oh, should we, we should all be so lucky that we could come up with something that elegant um, in that moment. Right. So yeah, I just, I, I thought it was great. And, and, and all, but also him translating and we get to see that dynamic between them. You know, as things as things close out as well, um, well and th- making things make sense for the kid. Uh, just to reassure you on that, though, it's not just parents. It's also sometimes aunts who say things in front of their mm. nieces and nephews that maybe they shouldn't. And then all of a sudden you're explaining why you can't actually marry your brother. And all of a sudden you've introduced the concept of incest to your seven year old niece. Ah. So that's a thing. That 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 does not surprise me at all, at, like even remotely <laughs> at all, <laughs> that you've been at the epicenter of that conversation. Oh boss. yeah, yeah. And then I had to explain to her parents, so that was fun too. <laughs> See when so today we talked about incest. Yeah. See you guys <laughs> later. <laughs> hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed the movie. Okay. Bye. Yeah, Night. Right, exactly. See when a man ruins your credit. I mean, well, let me back up a bit. <laughs> So so now we get a shot of Ted of, of Henry on Ted's shoulders in the big screen, the Jumbotron, mm-hmm. and Rebecca says, Oh shit, because at every single intersection uh where there could be a a situation where people had hate Ted more, um, invariably they, they love him more and she sees it. And we cut to the final scene of the episode, Ted and Michelle in the rain. As they're as they're about to part, and she's about to return to America, um, 
Boss, can you walk us through this? I mean, I can as long as you don't mind me sobbing because Jesus. Yeah, seriously. Um, so actually the first part was so well done again. I know that we say that about everything, but it's so well done. They're standing in the rain and they're talking about when they first met. And Ted says to her um, that he keeps thinking about when they met uh, us being alone, the only two people in that big old parking lot at the exact same time. It's so random. No way for us to know that that was going to be the start of something. And as he's saying that, it's intercut mm. with Keely and Roy in the parking lot outside the stadium. And they've got a yes. really great moment together. Uh, where he Wasn't that so clever? Oh God, was Wasn't that so, so clever that one relationship is ending while another one is, is potentially mm-hmm. begin? I mean, we don't mm-hmm. know. We don't know. But, but we know. it certainly feels like something's going on. But we know. We you're know. saying we know. And I yeah. think it was so, like, I, I think that. I have watched some pretty difficult divorces. I've luckily only had like a one significant breakup and that was not horrible in the way that they could be. I've watched a lot of really like drag out mean divorces. And I think that even for those couples, when things were really bad, there was something tender about thinking about when they'd first met that feels so heartbreaking in Mm. retrospect. And so having it, Ted and Michelle, who are lovely to each other, even in the midst of their marriage falling down around them, talking about when they first fell in love with the backdrop of Keely and Roy maybe falling in love. Like it, there, there's so many emotions in there. I don't know where to get started sorting them. It was such a well done scene. I love that you talk about the mix of the emotions because I do feel like, especially on the Ted side of this conversation, that there's a true yeah. range. There's that sort of piece that you're describing there, the wistful thing. And then there's built into how random there's got to be a sliver of like, I wish I'd never met you, yeah. <laughs> you know, for the way my heart's yeah. breaking right now. Right. I mean, there's got to be a slice of that in there. And then I thought it was fascinating. There's one look he gives her. And now I, uh, I may or may not, by which I mean, I definitely do have anger <laughs> issues. And so, <laughs> just a little bit just a, just just a, a little yeah. <laughs> and and, I, and there was a look he gave when she said you're not giving up that was like yeah. I am giving up to what I read now this may be projection but was I read in the look was I am giving up and it's your fault yeah I thought was so I read that at least and felt like, oh, my God, that's so honest because he knows that's not fair, fair. um, But also he knows, you know, and he knows he's got to do what he's doing and he knows it's not her fault. Like He knows all of that, but doesn't mean this doesn't hurt like heck to put it in Ted (laughs) language and that he wouldn't want to, you know, that that he part of him has got to be upset, like on that basic level, like. What do you mean you don't yeah. love me anymore? I think that especially given the later episodes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, when I first mm-hmm. saw that interaction itself, um, I, I, I definitely think that there was some distance between what she was saying and what he wanted to accept. Um, I was thinking that it was anger, but not just because she was leaving, but also because they just decided that she doesn't get to be the person that makes him feel better anymore. Like what they 
just established mm-hmm. in the second before that was that she doesn't get to say things mm-hmm. to him to mm-hmm. make it easier. Like you're not that person as of yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Ooh, I didn't. It's so funny. I didn't read either one of the things that you guys read, but that's funny because I've been through this particular um, scenario mm-hmm. and I was, was focused on the face you have to put on in front of your children so that they don't freak out and sense that something they, they do anyway. They know no matter what you do, kids are sponges and they know something's off. But um, I remember putting my children, I had two children at the time when I got divorced and um, my ex is a lo- lovely person. We played tennis three days ago Aww. and we get along, we get along great, but it took her, you know, 10 years to like a decade to sort of understand what I, you know, what my moves were when I was like, you know, we were we had a lot of fun together but it wasn't going to work it just wasn't it wasn't right and she was mad about that for a long time and in that moment she was mad at me when the first time you know you have custody and they take the kids um and uh, you know not they take the kids she, you know it starts she get you split the time up and and you're used to having the kids with you full time and then there's this silence as your kids drive away and your ear your kids drive away and you're smiling and waving at them like everything's fine because you have to hold up that sort of normalcy for them. And I was watching mm-hmm. that in this scene with Ted and um oof yeah. man, that it brought back a lot of memories for me and and uh glad certainly glad <laughs> I'm past those days. But um I just mm-hmm. admired admired them yeah how they how they put this scene together. And coach, you brought up something when there's this you don't jump into a relationship um, thinking it's going to fail, especially when you when you do you know get married and do all these things. You you hear the statistics mm-hmm. about oh half of, more than half of marriages fail, and you don't think you're going to be one of those. Otherwise, it seems foolhardy to do it. Um, right. But especially when the right. la- when you get to that last moment when the final and if you're on good terms, it's it's different if you're not on good terms. But Ted and Michelle are on good terms. You called me right after this scene and you, there was something you really loved yeah. about the scene that you noticed. You were, you were specifically saying, you know, I need to pay attention more to the little subtleties um, and in scenes like this. And there's something you noticed that you really loved about their final embrace. And I think now that, Boss, you, you, you highlighted for me sort of the, the moment between them and you don't get to be that person anymore. I mean, when they go for that final embrace, he, to, to my eye initially leans into it he's leaning toward his wife and he ends up the way she hugs him and and his diverting and realizing there has been a change there's been a change in this moment in their lives he ends up hugging his friend yeah and um that shift was just i mean i'm sorry you just don't get moments that emotionally honest in most shows most anything certainly not in most comedies but there was there was an ache for me in that friendship is a beautiful thing, but in that moment it feels like something of a demotion. Yeah. So I'm sure he at some point maybe they may end up being great friends and they may end up you know whatever however life unfolds and that might be great. But in that exact moment, it it definitely it hurt because he wanted to be holding his wife. And, and he just wasn't anymore. You know, it's interesting. I had exactly that same response that kind of like crack my chest open and just take my heart out right now reaction during mm-hmm. the scene. But it was the line where he said, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. 
because he is being demoted mm. and yeah. she's demoting him. She is making it so that they're not husband and wife anymore. Now they're friends. And he is reassuring her that he's going to be okay with it. It was, oh my God. I can't even talk about it right now. So, it's so good. <laughs> and, and, and the piece around, but you're not quitting, Ted. You're just letting me go. You know, we've all seen, you know, hanging in some bathroom or some wall or wherever, you know, if you love something, let it go. And it all sounds very poetic. And isn't that lovely? <laughs> Dude, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> it ain't so simple when you're holding the thing that love that you love and you are taking the risk. And here I would argue it's not even a risk. Like it was a risk when he flew there. Like that was that part of the poem. Like, this is the part of the poem where, like, if it doesn't come back to you, it never was. Like, he knows this bird ain't coming back. And so, yeah, like, yeah, totally, totally heart wrenching. But again, she was willing, like, she is in her own way heroic. Yeah. Yeah. She was willing to keep this going. She was willing to keep trying. She was willing to wake up tomorrow and see, like, does it feel different today? Does it feel different today? She, you know, he, he, he had to let her go because she loved him too much to, to, to sort of take the final step without him saying to her, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And and now they go, they go begin a, a new journey together, which is weathering the, the society's, um, sort of dismissal of divorced people. Hmm. because there is a stench of failure. Imagine like you pick a person, you start to go all the parties together. All your friends have to know each other. You know, this whole thing, you meet their whole family, they meet your whole family. And then it fails. It's the biggest decision of your life. And you blew it. You Mm -hmm. absolutely blew it. And um, society isn't great about that. It's getting better in some ways, but um, it's a, it's a whole adjustment to, to be like a you know one time loser in in um you know that sort of dynamic uh, relationship dynamic especially just because so much goes into it it becomes we uh, you know I don't want to get too far off the track the tra- uh, track here but um, as a society as a civilization I'm speaking just specifically about Americans um, but there are there are versions of it in in European um, societies too you look at the milestones that we celebrate in our lives and there mm-hmm. is no bigger milestone that we celebrate than two people mm-hmm. pairing off. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the thing that little girls, they put in your mind, like little girls have to look forward to their wedding. They don't say little girls plan for your marriage. They say plan for your wedding right. day. They put, right. We have all the wrong sort of milestones in that, like, you know, the, in my, in my opinion, you know, it's like, it should be about like, I like that they celebrate graduations. I really love that. I love celebrating graduations. It's like you did something like you bettered yourself and you're like giving yourself more options, but weddings always strike me as like, oof. and I like funerals in that people are coming together to celebrate like an accomplishment of life. I really like that. But I feel like we sometimes are are off about how we prioritize. It's seriously the number one thing. It's the one thing your parents save their entire lives for outside of college, mm-hmm. right? They say, mm-hmm. "Oh, your father's got to pay for your for your wedding day." Like it is such a huge thing in our in our civilization, and to to screw it up is 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 a really is a rough rough thing. Yeah. It, well, and it's. 
I think all of those things are true. <laughs> I think uh, the wedding industrial mm-hmm. complex is um, out of control. <laughs> I think one of the worst things that we do, though, is consider that a divorce is only a failure. Like, if you're mm-hmm. with somebody for however many years, if you had a relationship, if you had a kid, I mean, you don't need to have a kid, but if you made a life together for a certain amount of time and you enjoyed that time and you feel like you're a better person because of it and are able to walk away from that without hating each other and maybe being friends, I feel like that's much more of an accomplishment than a failure. That's acknowledging that Mm -hmm. things didn't work out the way you wanted them to and adapting to the ways that things are now. Uh, my one one tiny plug here is that Lady C, uh, my better half here, is a uh, one of her many hats she wears is she's a conscious uncoupling coach, yes. which is like something that people mm. you know it's kind of been you know mm-hmm. it's it's been derided a little bit as a as a thing, but there is a process to getting into a relationship. There's like a bunch of shared mm-hmm. agreements that you that you sort of commit to when you join a relationship, and then when you leave a relationship, it's helpful to go through and sort of undo, like knowingly undo those shared agreements. And people, because people get really worked up and and there's a ton of emotion involved, um, that process doesn't naturally happen. But you're right, boss, that when it does happen, when you can sort of walk away and, and make a make a new life for yourselves, um, it's a really it's a it's a great thing and it is a success. And um Hopefully, uh, you know, society will sort of warm up to that concept. I mean, we're an entire generation of uh, kids of divorce. So God, let's hope so, because we need to do better than people have done previously. Couldn't possibly do it worse. So speaking of doing it worse, um, Roy sneaks up on a woman at night in a parking lot. Nothing wrong with that. Fantastic. And uh, can't imagine what problems that would cause. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> I, again i think he's adorable in this in this um oh my god in this in this episode and he says sorry i'm an idiot i was also an idiot yesterday so and keely says it's okay and he says good night keely and she says good night roy and that's it I, i'm like oh this is it's a little bit of a slow burn here but man i i, I could i could it's like you can taste it <laughs> I was just going to say, I feel like you stepped, skipped over a couple of things because, yes, he says, I'm sorry, I was an idiot. I was also an idiot yesterday. She says it's okay. Um, then there was a significant yes. amount of eye-fucking that happened for at least five seconds. And then were the good nights. So, like, let's let's give a little bit of credit there because that happened. I like it. I agree. I think there was a that, – that, that was definitely – he he definitely was breaking breaking up the party when he said good night. It wasn't just the end of a conversation. It was like, whew, I need a I, I better I better get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so he's there for he's there for a reason. Just I mean, he's there. He's there. He's compelled to be there. He is trying to make a connection. And then um we see this dynamic where maybe it gets too real for him or too powerful for him or something, and then he, you know. He begs off, which is, uh, and then she chuckles when she gets in the car. Yes. Yes, she does. (laughs) Which I really like. So, um, once, once, uh, Michelle and Henry drive away, there's, 
there's a great um there's a great moment where um beard just shows up and you want to walk us through that boss yeah beard shows up because of course beard is going to be the person who is with ted at the end of this um he has a beer with him because of course he's going to have a beer with him after all of this the old guy uh, scarf guy from the beginning of the episode walks past and says oi wanker good job tonight which is such a great reversal of the earlier uh, live that he had uh, Ted, because he's Ted, says, thank you, sir. Keep an eye on us. We might be turning this thing around. Because even though <laughs> he literally just decided to divorce his wife, he's yeah. still going to be yes. cheerful and optimistic. And then he and Beard do what is obviously a routine of theirs. They uh, clink their glasses together and tap them on the bench and then drink. And it goes out on Marcus Mumford, breaking all of our collective hearts. Oof, Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I, I'll i say that, and I don't want to talk too much about future episodes because we have 36 hours to devote to each one of those. But what I will say, <laughs> what I sort of noticed on my many rewatches, the first two episodes seem to set up that this is the thing that he's doing, Ted, Ted and Coach, I should say. This is the things that they're doing. Episodes three and four are... This is how we're going to get it done. And episodes five and six are, mm. these are the ways we're not going to get it done. So I think six really ties in well with five thematically in terms of they are good at this and they know what they're doing and it's a good plan, but it's not foolproof. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, and we, when we started, we saw that Ted was the, the, the pebble in the pool that the ripples affect everyone else. And I talked a lot about how he, the the other characters arcs sort of change once they interact with Ted, but we're seeing Ted's arc here and, yeah. and it's, and it's, it's no joke. Yeah. <laughs> it is, right. it is a structural change for him. So it leaves you, um, it leaves you sad, saddened by the emotion of the scene, but hopeful about the, the Roy and Keeley. And ultimately, you know, when you have a great friend like Coach Beard, um, you don't have to suffer alone. Beard doesn't try to pep talk him. He doesn't give him a speech. That's right. He just sits with him. And sometimes it's all it's all you need. I got to toss this in because I think it's my experience of it. And this this end of this episode really captures it. Um, I j- joked in quotes because all jokes have some truth that I'm going to save a fortune in therapy with this show. <laughs> <laughs> and and but it's true like i find myself you know i sat there and i watched that and i thought about relationships and i thought about my own marriage and i thought about what it's like to be a dad and i thought about putting on that brave face and then i'm thinking about the friends i've had who have been the kind of friend who could just hand me a beer and we'd sit there and have a drink i was just telling a story the other day about a friend of mine and long story short i'd saved all this money to, to fix up this car and the person who did the, the safety inspection screwed up my car and I was truly stuck and I need to drive across the country. And I completely just like unraveled, like I had killed myself to get this done. And he grabbed me and a wiffle bat and a wiffle ball. And we went out to his front yard and he, we started playing wiffle ball. Like the two of us, he would pitch, I would pitch. And then some kids came by 
And then there's like a scene out of a movie. And then these kids came by and then they were playing. We were playing them. And they were, and the next thing I'm like laughing and running with these kids. And I still had to figure out what I was going to do. And that's a whole other part of the story. But the friend in your life who knows. We're not going to ha- we're not necessarily going to have the conversation right now, but I'm here. And um, those are, you know. If you have if you have one of those in your life, you're lucky. If you have more than one, you you know you fell out the lucky tree, hit every branch on the way, and fell into a pool of uh, what is it, Sour Patch Kids Cash. and uh, yeah, both hard but, Cash. But you yeah. that yeah, you know yeah, exactly. So you know, I just I part of this show for me is I feel like it walks me through episodes of my life and gives me a way to look back at them that I I truly appreciate. Like I, there are people who I want to reach out to who I'm reminded of and say, like, you know, just check on them or say hi or remember the time or something, because it's just such a powerful way of looking at your life. And, you know, people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Sometimes the person came into your life for a season as a wife or a husband or a partner. And that doesn't feel quite right. But sometimes that's the reality. Yeah, I, I don't I, I feel like. At some point, people are going to believe that the show can't possibly be as good as we're making it out to be. I will say that I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying. The way that the show compels you to examine your own actions and what you're doing. Um, And again, people listening to this who know me, maybe just stop listening because you're not going to believe it anyway. But a thing I've started doing on various (laughs) social media platforms is um, liking strangers' posts, mostly on Twitter. Somebody says... I got a job doing this. I got into med school or whatever. I go out of my way to write mm-hmm. something nice because now Ted Lasso makes me feel like I have to. So I'm, I, I, nice. I, maybe it's not working. Maybe it's not doing anything, but definitely Lil Mustachio Jason Sudeikis is telling me that I should be. So I am. Yeah. I love that. I love that too. The thing I'm really taking out of like both of what you, what you just said is that I'm probably like, your favorite person, both of you. Clearly, and obviously. Yeah, you really appreciate me and value me, and you think I'm like the best kind of friend there is. So yeah, you know, you and Jamie. Yes. In the words of Jamie Todd, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, now tell the truth. Are you perfect, standing up perfect. at your computer right now, pointing at your back and shouting, "Me, me, 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 uh, me, me"? I'm looking at my 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 Chinese tat that says leg. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, where do where can people find you online? Twitter at OG Bishop and on uh, Instagram, I'm at BK2LA. So uh, let's connect. And what about you, boss? Where can people find you? I'm going to be nice and sincere this time and say you could find me at at Dumbly <laughs> underscore Chambers. It's dumbly like Emily, but a D-U-M-I-L-Y. And if you follow me, I will try to say something nice about you. This is like staggering. Anyone that knows boss, like seriously, like, mm. like pinching myself. Yeah, um, this isn't you can find it's nuts. The transformation is nuts. It's unholy. <laughs> I might, um, you can find me at Lord Castleton on Twitter. And that is all for us for episode season one, episode five, tan lines of the Ted Lasso, the Ted Lasso show. Um, this has been our 
Ted Lasso Talk. We thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending this time with us. We hope you're getting something out of it. Um, it's certainly saving Coach Bishop a ton in in medical costs. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you like us, like, subscribe, comment. It all helps. And we will see you next week. Until then, we are Richmond till we die. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you guys soon. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and The Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.